but oh, you're a super a celebrity, oh, okay? Yeah, Come on. No, yeah, exactly. Hello and welcome to episode number 141 of Grumpy Old Ben's for Monday, March 8th, 2021. I'm Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America just outside of Chirac. We're over the weekend. 21 people shot, but only one fatally. So they're getting worse, I guess, with the aiming. A special show today. Ryan is still off recuperating from dental surgery. He's in the troll room, though. So if you're in the troll room, you can interact with Ryan and you can tell him directly about how many things he's been wrong about. But sitting in, filling in Gene Naftuliev, or if you're from the no agenda crowd, which you may be, then you would know him as Sir Gene, the genius behind the podcasting pro device that uh, that never got made. So exactly the one that (laughs) never got made. What the hell happened with that? That seemed like it was such a good idea. Well, I think it was a good idea because there's now two devices that I would consider in the direct lineage of that device um, that have been made, but uh, of course ours never did. And I, I, it's a very easy answer. There was not enough demand um, because one of the conditions that I set, I'll take the responsibility for it uh, amongst our little group of uh, startup folk, was that. To make this not simply a one-off product, which is Adam makes a device and that's it, we're done, we ship them, nothing more happens. To really turn this into a business, we had to do a minimum of $800,000 in sales because there's a lot of business costs associated with actually a physical product being uh, created and then manufactured. Right. Uh, And... It may be hard for people to believe, but at the price point we had them at, which I believe was four ninety nine, there was virtually no profit left after manufacturing. So it, unlike the big huge companies that are making uh, similar products right now, uh, like Rode, I'm sure they have a fifty percent profit minimum on their device. Uh, we would have had to sell for a thousand dollars to have a fifty percent profit on the thing. And of course, at a thousand, it'd be even fewer people that would have bought it. So the, the 499 price point was essentially a break even price point. Um, I think it was like 460 or something like that, that our, our total would have been per device. Well, and you guys wanted quality for the sound. Yeah. And this is something in the audio department that is pretty hard to do. There's a wide variety of quality. When it comes to things that process audio, and if you want stuff that really works well, you spend a lot of money on it. But the problem with that is it then, of course, shrinks the audience. The amount of people that will buy a thousand dollar device way less than the ones that'll buy something that's only a couple hundred bucks, even if the one that's a couple hundred bucks sounds like crap. And from what I could tell, what you were putting together was high quality stuff. 
and it was going to be assembled in America too, right? Or am I wrong there? Ah, uh, hell no, no. It would be way over a thousand if it was assembled in America. Okay, so no, the, it was designed in America, designed here. And, and I'll tell you, as far as we got, is we actually paid for the uh, custom board design for this thing. So, um, I have a handful somewhere theoretically boards that actually would work if they were assembled with all the ships and things on them. Nice. Um, yeah. But you know, the Kickstarter ended uh, or the Indiegogo I should say, ended before we went any further, which was a good thing because since we didn't hit our target goal, all the money went back to people. And so all the cost of doing all the design development and even getting the, the board designed uh, had to be, uh, paid by us out of pocket so <clears throat> i'm glad we didn't spend any more money than that because uh, we all lost money on it we i always wonder how a lot of those crowd sourced things work for the ones that do how many just do send out their one run and then never make a go of it i mean i understand both concepts where oh we're building a product and it is a one-time thing but that seems odd because if people like the product the best right. marketing is usually word of mouth. So if you got these into the hands of a bunch of podcasters that love them, the worst thing would be them telling all their other podcasting friends and then going, well, we can't buy this anywhere. What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that does happen quite a bit in the music industry where you have people that just pop out out of the blue, create like a guitar amp, uh, manufacture uh, 500 of them and then run out of money and never make it again. I've seen that before. So I don't think it's that uncommon, even without Kickstarter. But certainly with Kickstarter, there's plenty of that. I have, I think I, I probably uh, bought, supported, whatever you want to call, somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 Kickstarters. And I think I've received around 35 products. Now, I haven't done a single Kickstarter that I've supported in probably five years because the last few things that I supported never got shipped, including that goddamn cooler that I paid five hundred dollars for and never got. See, now that's where I will never seemed, forget that. Yeah, that always seemed uh, so shady that there was no guarantee. It was. I don't think it was shady. I think it was just complete ineptitude from a business standpoint. You had a couple of engineer dudes that decided that hey, we can make a techie cooler. It's got a built-in radio, got the battery, it's got USB, it's got all this. Crap, oh, it's go oh, and the biggest thing it has a blender attachment <laughs> so you can you can stick a blender on it and make your margarita using batteries how cool is this uh and at 500 bucks it was clearly way overpriced i mean it's it's in the category of other overpriced coolers which don't have techie things right but nonetheless people pay for i guess so they have that going for them but what they did is they they had a super successful kickstarter they generated something like five million dollars and then they took a year to redesign and finally get these coolers manufactured. And the problem was during that year, they hired a bunch of people and they were just burning through the $5 million in their account. So by the time they got the shipment of coolers that came back from China that were operational, they realized that they couldn't even ship these to the people that paid for them. So they rerouted that shipment to Amazon <laughs> and started selling them on Amazon. Nice. And their plan was the way they justified it was, well, if if we can just sell this first containers worth on Amazon and generate 50 percent profit off the coolers, 
then we can actually afford to have another shipment sent to us because everything's essentially tooled up at this point. And then the second shipment, when we can start sending out to people that actually supported us. Well, they did that. They, they started thinking that method. They put their coolers up for 500 bucks on Amazon and virtually nobody bought for two reasons. One, here's a company that never shipped its product. Right. Uh, from the supporters. So they were getting negative reviews on Amazon from people that had given them money to get the damn cooler in the first place. And secondly, when they weren't moving the way Amazon thought they were, they, these were one of the, or this company was one of the first ones in the Amazon program for specifically created for Kickstarters. It was like the fast to market program or something like that. And so when, when the speed of sales wasn't happening, Amazon as per their contract, which these guys didn't bother reading, started adjusting prices, which Amazon used to do. I, they don't do it anymore. They used to do this a lot where they would just start dropping prices to make the thing move. And so the, the cooler went from $500 on Amazon to $400 on Amazon to $300 on Amazon <laughs> and finally to $250 on Amazon. And at, and at $250, these guys were losing about 10 bucks a cooler. But their contract with Amazon said that Amazon gets to control the price. So Amazon was effectively liquidating that first container of coolers just to move them out of inventory. And these guys made zero money. And now they were back at the same place they were before. They tried doing another Kickstarter. Didn't work. I think they got a small investment from somebody of maybe 500000 or something in order for them to keep getting coolers. And then they started selling them directly instead of on Amazon. And meanwhile, those of us that gave them 500 bucks in the first place were getting emails saying, hey, yeah, we care about you guys. We know that you're pissed about this, but here's the deal. We either can't ship any coolers or we have to sell two <laughs> coolers for every one that we ship to somebody that supported us. And they kept that up for about a year and a half, maybe. And they were offering deals like, if you buy another cooler at $500, <laughs> we can ship you both of them at the same time. Uh -huh. So you will pay for your own cooler to be manufactured. Yeah, that's nuts. And at that point, my take was like, you guys are such assholes. I'm not going to give you another dime. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping I'll still get the cooler eventually. After, I think, four years, they went bankrupt. So they just they disintegrated because they could not fulfill their demands. And what happened was, uh, obviously, that there was a court case. There was a class action suit against them. And um, the class action basically said, you guys have to start shipping these coolers uh, with a, a court-determined timeline of, like, two years or something to get every single one fulfilled. And that's when they went bankrupt. So I think it was a, and they had, like, 75 people in the company by that point. What? See, so it was nuts. completely business ineptitude that caused it, not the idea itself it was the fact that they took a year before they started manufacturing after getting the money because they kept fine-tuning and refining and then justifying it by saying oh it's getting better we're we're now including a uh, a slightly bigger size blender in it you know all this stuff that they should have done beforehand before doing the kickstarter they waited until after the fact well, that's kind of the problem with any of these kickstarter type things is that you have an idea you don't necessarily have the ability to produce it completely i mean maybe some of the people have done some legwork to try to get costs in that but a lot of people mm -hmm. i think put up an idea and have a prototype and have no idea what they're doing and that can really work yeah. out well but it could also completely crash and burn in a situation like this where the things just didn't 
fall into place the way they thought they would. But I mean, podcasting is so big now. I mean, that's time. Why don't we have a podcast podcaster board with Adam's face on it? That would be awesome. We need to resurrect that idea. Well, I thought you were the one that, uh, or maybe it wasn't you. Somebody else had reached out to Adam and said, Hey, I'm going to get in a hold of, uh, of road. Right. Somebody else and, did. Okay. Somebody else was doing that. Yeah. And, and at the very least, see if I can get you a free unit. Yeah. He got the and, same email back. That, uh-huh. that I did as a YouTuber with under like a thousand or whatever subscribers. We're not going to be pursuing this. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah. I mean, road is not good at their marketing. That is, I mean, they're actually really good at marketing. I'm, I'm totally going to disagree with you on that. I think they, they've done a tremendous job. If they wouldn't uh, jump on this, I don't understand yeah. uh, why you wouldn't here's the want. thing. I, I, this is this is going to be hard for people to hear, uh, given that a lot of people are listening that are no agenda fans. Adam is not very well known in podcasting, which is sad. There, there's only a small group of podcasters that listen to Adam. One of his shows, either no agenda, which is more likely these days or daily source code. If you go way back like I do. Only a small group of people actually know who he is. And I know this from empirical testing that I've done in Clubhouse. Clubhouse is one of the largest groups right now for podcasters. I think there's 22,000 podcasters that are in Clubhouse. And there's multiple podcaster rooms, which are, you know, like message boards, except you're speaking voice. So um, they're calling them rooms. But you, you can be in a group. 24-7 in one of those groups on Clubhouse to talk to other podcasters. And quite often there are multiple uh, rooms open for that um, at literally any time of day or night. And every time I've gone into a room, one of the things I make sure and do is I tell people that, hey, you should go check out Podcasting 2.0 um, because that's a new initiative that Adam Curry started. Right. And you, you literally hear crickets chirping. I mean, are they aware of the new things that are coming out with the chapters and the transcripts and the value? No, no, they're not aware of anything unless their host tells it to them. And that's it's really the hosting companies that they're aware is this is the way most people arrive at podcasting. Oh, public radio has a podcast. I should listen to that. They listen to the podcast and they go, oh, there's other podcasts besides public radio. That's kind of cool. <laughs> Some are better. They listen to a couple of other podcasts and they go. Gee, I should just start my own podcast. This seems really simple. From what I can tell, all I need to do is get a blue microphone and I can start talking. It's kind of into USB. Yeah, it It is is literally and it shouldn't be is my point to be a lot harder than that. There should be you shouldn't be allowed to upload a podcast unless you have passed a a basic minimum sound quality check. (laughs) I agree. Uh, that wouldn't be right? hard. And, and just watch this episode fail for that. Watch this episode have some kind of glitch. <laughs> well, okay, it would have to be like overall. I mean, there's always going to be some of the, if you're on Skype, there's always that underwater sound, which I don't miss. Now, right. Clean Feed does a much better job of that. And there's other services that do as well. I really want to try Signal for that. I Because I've had really long conversations on Signal, like multi-hour with no issues and high quality sound. And I, I, the problem with clean feed is it has horseshit for interface. It is. Simplistic. And there's no, there's nothing to tweak. There's like no freaking options. There's nothing to 
Like well, if there is an issue, you have the option of clicking two buttons. That's it. Well, here's the thing as somebody that would be doing interviews with somebody that's not a podcaster, that's not really all that tech inclined. Clean feed is a really good solution because you send a link, they open it up in their browser. And as long as they have their microphone or headset plugged in correctly, they'll get to do the interview and the sound quality is pretty decent. Yeah. And they might hear themselves back when they're talking. (laughs) Yeah. That's only if you set up your system wrong and that's not (laughs) most people. That's not. Uh See, that was the problem with these Motu devices is they give us way too many choices of things to do. Well, they're fully configurable. And, and I will say that part of the, you know, the Motu came out, I believe, either right before or right after we had our, our uh, launch of the um, podcaster pro. Oh, really? So, okay. And, so this Motu is, is that new? Oh, it's not. I mean, I wouldn't call that new. That was like well, three and a half years ago. Now that's new come in the, in the, oh, scheme yeah, yeah, of yeah. Things. It, in the grand scheme of things. Yes. Cause the, I had the previous generation Motu and what one of the main things they did is, and I had their absolute top line one. It was like a $1,500 unit. But they changed the software from being actual software you install on Mac and PC to being completely web-based. And that's when they introduced AVB to allow the devices to create audio channels over Ethernet. Now, the AVB, I think, is a lot more useful if you're doing actual music production than speech, obviously. Um, Although I keep threatening at some point to spend some time with you and see if we can get this working over the Internet with AVB through a VPN which theoretically could be done. Which but, would be the uh, best quality audio if you have. If the VPN connection. works. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's um, the Motu. I always thought, and this is the Motu for people that haven't you know, followed on. We talk about the Motu a lot. It's the device you connect your microphone to, and that converts everything into the USB signal the computer needs. But I think that the Motu device that we use, which is the Ultralight MK4, has a lot more in common with the podcaster device you guys were putting together than the road or now the zoom ones, because it was a much more compact thing with mm-hmm. most of the, th- um, the controls were all built into the software rather than having the sliders, you know, to adjust the sound and the volume and all that. And I have to wonder if it isn't just the, the cool factor that people can show they have a board because while doing a podcast, you very rarely have to adjust the audio. You're not sitting you, there. Yeah. I, I think you never do. The only person that <clears throat> ever touches the board is Adam. He will hand all the time. He, and the reason he does is because I don't know if people have seen his process, but he essentially, while John is reading the donation, Adam is queuing up the clips by dragging them to a little app he has that that just lets you queue up a bunch of audio one after the other and then he'll manually push in the fader up before playing that and then he'll pull pull the fader down as he switches clips around pushes the fader back up now he used to have a device that was uh, and i've got one of these too i just never use it um uh, if you guys watch my video that i did with uh uh what's his face um the fango uh, Gitmo.life, the, the, their live cast that I was on behind my right shoulder, you might see a little bit of that mixer, but it's essentially a device that just has the sliders and USB. 
and no actual audio processing. And so this thing would work in conjunction with other devices like the Motu to provide physical controls that you can move um, for the sliders and knobs and things, and then just simply translate that into MIDI data across USB to let you control other devices. Right. That's Adam used to use one of those. And um, the cool thing about that device is the sliders are motorized. So you can actually watch this, the physical slider move if you adjust the settings in software. Nice. That's very nerd. It's really, it's super nerd like, right? It's really, it looks really cool, but it also makes noise, which is annoying. Right. right? And it's not loud, but you hear this little, you know, little motor noise. And the other thing about it is uh, if you, if you bring, if you hit like the mute button or you hit, you bring the slider to zero, then you hear a click because it slams the, the slider into the plastic housing. So it's like going full speed. It's really fast. So, um, I, I only kind of played with it. I should have gotten rid of it a lot sooner. Um, I'm sort of cleaning up my unused audio gear right now, as you are aware of. Yes. And, and uh, now Adam just uses a, a much smaller little compact um, device. I can't remember who makes it. Maybe Korg. I think it might be the Korg one. K-O-R-G with uh, little knobs and sliders on it that also just lets you control it physically. He likes the tactile movement. Um, if I've ever had the need to control uh, things on the fly, um, like if I was doing... And I haven't done this for ages, but if I was doing like DJing type stuff, I actually like using my iPad because I, I like just moving my finger across a glass surface to move the sliders rather than physically pushing a slider. But, you know, Adam's been doing this for what, 35, 40 years. It's what, yeah, it's what you get used to doing. Then yeah. The being able to open up the iPad or any tablet really for the Motus, there's even a separate control in the motu software that is made specifically for the tablet right. so it's nice and, and they, they did not have that when they first came out so i got i got the um i have the ultralight avb which is the uh i think the the parent or grandparent device of the one you have and i got that literally as soon as it came out because when i saw the interface changes they made i was like take my money <laughs> you knew they and were on I, the right i think track. it was 700 bucks when I got it <clears throat> and it's the small one. Like I, the, the one that I got for the podcast that I was doing at the time that I made the other guy pay for that was 1400. So I got a little one <laughs> for myself. <laughs> well, it's, I do. I think it is the ultimate podcasting interface, but it's not something that a lot of podcasters are using. They're still mainly yeah. on these cheap hundred, $200 audio interfaces, yes. which, they can work fine, but if you're looking to do calls with people, you know, any kind of online conversation, you start being very limited as far as what you can do. If you yeah. want to record everybody on separate tracks, that is the that's the whole that was the holy grail for me. So when I realized that this thing would do that, I was like, okay, I mean it's not cheap, but it is rock solid. The freeware solution I was using, which is voice meter, potato or banana or whatever the highest one is, was every now and then crashing the machine. And it just wasn't a great experience. And the Motu, once I got, was spectacular once it was set up correctly, because there was that blue screen. If you had different bit rates set up when you expanded 
all of the channels. I still want to know why that didn't work for you, because I think that makes these devices way more usable to do all sorts of crazy stuff when you can literally yeah. route things anywhere. Um, yeah, and I, I probably should try it with the Mac as well. On the PC, the thing that seems to happen is I just start hearing the same kind of clicks that are typical if you have a um, a mismatch of your uh, what you're running at for frequency. So I'm, I'm always running at 48 kilohertz. And all of a sudden, say, everything, including software, is talking at 48. But it sounds like a 44.1 to a 48 mismatch. And right. I know, like, just saying that for some people is already like, what the hell? What? I don't want a device that has things you have to worry about 48s and 41s on. I just want it to work. And that's why I think where Rode did a good job in simplifying their device. They still allow you to re- do multi-channel recording, but they also allow you to do that in the device. They also allow you to multiplex in the device. And they they allow you to have a mix minus in the device. Now, we had all of those in Podcaster Pro as well. Because that was one of the, you know, driving principles for our product, which uh, Rode and and uh, I guess Behringer now as well have adopted, is um, creating something specifically for podcasting for voice recording that doesn't need all the crapola like guitar inputs with different impedance on it the way that the Mo- the Motu devices have. Right. Um, so Motu is absolutely overpowered for what we're doing we could have theoretically with the motu a 24 person uh podcast where each track gets recorded separately yes and you you've jinxed it because the minute you start talking about clicks your signal started clicking i don't know did it really i think wonderful i think there's somebody out there that is listening to you that doesn't like what doesn't like saying. the clickiness I yeah think, i think so but i thought I was, well, are you recording at 48 or are you recording at 44 yeah i go well, i go 48 because i switched every once a uh, clean feed jumped to 48 i moved everything up to to 48 okay, to uh to, to cause any uh well try to yeah. remove any issues like that but the intro i mean the device you guys were working on was i think going to be great for individual podcasters or mm-hmm. somebody that was going to be doing one local person with them because it could handle up to two microphones the correct yeah so that was that was the first one that we were going to do to hit the market was going to be for two local and one remote and uh so it, you could have three people potentially on there right which is um, more than enough for a vast majority of podcasters oh like 95 percent probably fill into maybe even 99 percent fall into that category because most people either have another host live or just another person remote so it would have worked very easily that way and then the the next follow-on model if this would have been successful podcast would have been one with four people locally so four microphone jack that would have been our, our sort of you know we're funny name for it was the podcaster pro pro <laughs> yeah nice. i think i i think i came up with that um so it was a it, it would have been just a follow-on because we were already putting together a wish list for features that we didn't have in the first version because that was locked into the board design like we were done designing it we were to the moving to the production phase um and then there were still things that well, it'd be nice to have more microphones. Well, what what else, you know, can we can we get? Well, it'd be nice to have a touch screen instead of a using uh, a rotator and a 
rotating encoder and a just a black and white screen. Well, the there one, were other things that would have changed. Yeah, the one thing that I think really hurt it the most mm-hmm. was the inability. Having Adam Curry, who no one's ever heard of, <laughs> promoting it. I know, I know. I say the same thing. My God. Yeah, if this thing could have been done by somebody people had heard of, it could have been it huge. Would have just, it could have been a you know, $5 million product that we never shipped. The, the problem was you weren't able to record on it. And I couldn't understand that. Throw in an SD card right. slot and let people record. That directly. is harder than you think. I know. That really is. Um, and it, it's cool that the other devices now that are out that allow you to do that. Monty doesn't, by the way. Um, no. But the the reason that I think people want that is because they're doing the final production, not in a DAW, but they're doing it in the device. It's sort of like people that use um, clean feed and actually take the file that clean feed generates as their podcast. Right. Which I do rather not. than using clean feed. Are you doing that? I do not. Oh, you don't. Right, right. I wouldn't either. Because what you do is just use clean feed for the communication link, which is why also I want to try it with signal because I'm not tied to clean feed at all Uh, because I don't use its file generation. But for people that just want to do a quick and dirty, I'm going to throw up a podcast recording. There's a clean feed will actually do the multiplexing for you and create the final file, right? That you can just upload right to your uh, hosting service. Right. It does the magic. The problem with clean feed is their recording is whatever you hear. So let's just say it was the internet connection causing that little bit of clicks, which have stopped now, which is good. But if it was the internet connection, that's not a very clean feed. If you're hearing clicks, man. Right. And, but it would have recorded that where we tested another service called, uh, I think it was Zencaster, which I think they have improved now, which I mean, I signed up for that, but I've never used it. So I'm curious what you guys had. When we tried them, they were very good, except every now and then we had drift, which I think may have been also Mm. another issue of a mismatch of one recording at 44 and one recording at 48, which is possible. Mm. And they did say they had some other issues with drifting, but they said they've got that fixed. Now the genius of their system is you each, even though it's in a browser based, each participant has their audio recorded locally and after everything's done although i think now they've also improved where they're doing it incrementally while it's going on but Mm -hmm. the recording that exists at the end is you recorded at your location me recorded at my location whoever else recorded at their location and then those all get merged to create the final podcast but yeah you don't have anything that was recorded over the internet. Then you're only using the internet to talk to each other. And that audio is basically garbage and not used. Interesting. Well, there's pros and cons to that because back in the olden days. So my first podcast that I did was in 2006, I believe. And so 14 years ago. And I, I started doing that podcast uh, you know, partly because I was listening to a lot of uh, uh, Adam's podcast, the uh, Daily Source Code back then. Right. And you were thinking, I, thought, I can do this better. Would be fun. Yeah. Well, not, it, it, Adam didn't have guests, right? He didn't have other people on. And I thought, how fun would it be just to do one with multiple people? Because a lot of people podcasting back then, like um, uh, the the Blueberry guy. Uh, God, I'm forgetting his name. Uh, do you remember? His I name? do not. 
God damn it. Um, he was one of the first podcasters. He was there very, very, very early on after Adam. And I think when he interviewed Adam, they talked about like what was his genesis. And it was very much directly tied to Adam as well. He was recovering from a back injury uh, that he suffered in the military. And so he was like flat on his back. And he um, he was listening to this new thing called podcasting. And he thought that was one of the very few activities that he could actually do while he's recovering because it didn't involve any physical action. Right. And that's how he got into God. I see. I'm picking myself for forgetting his name. Cause he's actually, a, he was very much one of the early people that I listened to that got me going into doing podcasting. This is way before he had the, the, the hosting company blueberry, uh, which is misspelled. Right. Grossly. Right. Which is like also the blueberry. Yeah, that's the plugin that almost everybody that has a podcast that's being hosted on WordPress is using his. Oh, really? Plugin. Oh, I don't yes. even know that. Okay. That's what we use. I mean, we don't host it? with them. Yeah, but oh. the software makes it. I really used to easy. host with him. I I hosted one of my podcasts. I've, I think I've had five, five or six total over the years. But I never stick around more than I think my longest one went for two and a half years. That was about the longest that I could keep up the same podcast before changing something else. Well, when you but, do it daily, Gene, that's more work than most. Well, people you do. know, it's the mine is clearly not daily anymore for anyone <laughs> that's on it. It's more like every two and a half days is, is what I'm getting to now. So I, I do one every other day. And then I sometimes occasionally there's a three day weekend in there. Um, but the, certainly uh, I'd like to get back to a more regular, maybe every other day schedule continuously without the weekends, because. Um, or without taking weekends in the middle of the podcast, I should say. So ignoring normal weekends and still doing it. Um, the problem is that I started off doing very much a news, uh, you know, talking head, kind of a Rush Limbaugh format. And what I find is I do a lot more sort of a long form opinion dialogue. Or not in, it's a monologue. It's not a dialogue. Uh, so, well, it depends I, how many I, voices I get to are like in your head. One change. story. Well, I have to accommodate all multitude of voices in there, and only only one of them gets to control my mouth. So uh, I end up with what is essentially a one news item and about 30 minutes of me expounding on something that I've been thinking about. So, yeah, it's a. Uh, uh, it's it's been interesting. Um, I'm still tweaking it i i've been shocked at the fact that people have donated uh, to the podcast at all because frankly i'm still not honed into the point where i would like to be to as far as i don't know consistency and quality that i i wasn't even asking for donations i was just sort of like let me get good first maybe maybe around episode i don't know 150 or something and then maybe i'll start <laughs> asking for money well, you, got um, good, you know, you have good sound quality and that immediately, I think, sets you apart from so many people that. Yeah, fair enough. It just and I think a lot of people I could be wrong, but there's percentages with everything. And I think the percentage of people yeah. that actively listen to podcasts is fairly small. And I believe that a vast majority will turn it on during their day while they're doing other things, we'll catch bits Absolutely. and pieces of it. And that's that, what I do. That's all you need. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's true. And it, it's one of those things where um, at, every time I'm, I, I mention something about, uh, you know, oh, I get a, get a donation. That's so cool. And he's like, just just wait another month. Wait another month and we'll, we'll have the, uh, the new uh, uh, donation podcasting app ready. Right. So he's not working on developing that, but the guys that are developing that are very much working on the podcasting 2.0 platform and talking to Adam and uh, Dave. Is it Dave? It's Dave, yes. right? Yeah, Dave Jones. Yeah. I Jones, think that's right. That's a very interesting concept. I'm not, I'm still a little dubious on whether it's going to work well for podcasts, but I have no question in my mm-hmm. mind that that's going to be the way musicians are getting paid in the future. It's the only thing that makes sense. Streaming music is going to be that route, which is, Oh, if you keep listening to a Taylor Swift song, well, she's going to get paid whatever amount of time you're listening, because a lot of people don't realize the smaller artists that are even on sites like Spotify don't get paid. Even if people listen to them. Totally. Yeah. If you're, if you're not one of the big ones, you're probably not. So you need something that can monitor what people are actually listening to. And then you feel good that the people that you enjoy listening to are the actual mm. ones making the money, not from well, either that or you just start turning this stuff off because now it costs you money and it didn't used to cost you money. It may. I mean, it could just be an opt in thing as well. It depends how much music you listen to, too, because even with yeah. these all you can eat models, I don't know how much music people listen to if you're paying 10 or 20 bucks a month for some of these. I used to pay. um the i think it was 12 bucks well it started off i think it was five bucks and then it went up to 12 bucks for pandora uh i was a very very early pandora guy and so i built up a very nice customized totally tweaked set of lists <clears throat> probably had about 30 or 40 of them in there for particular types of music that i wanted to listen to uh depending on the activity and eventually it just got to a point where I was listening to Pandora less and less because I was listening to podcasts more and more. And I I don't even know if that's necessarily a healthy thing, frankly, because it depends. Yeah. I I just don't listen to much music these days. And because I feel like if I'm listening to music, then I'm falling behind on consumption of ideas. And I think the, the value of those ideas is questionable. Um, but nonetheless, that is the impression that I'm getting. It's like, well, if I'm listening to music, I could be a listening to a podcast or B, I could be on clubhouse participating in stuff, talking to other people or C, I could be uh, working on my next book, which has been a in process for like three years now. Oh, is it the, um, is it the vinegar book? You working on that with JCD? <laughs> No, no I'm, I'm trying to compete to get a vinegar uh, book out before him. <laughs> that shouldn't be hard, Gene. It shouldn't be yeah. hard to get that one to press quicker. Well, truth be told, I actually have made vinegar and I've done. Um, I'm sure other people have accidentally as well. But I, I have uh, in my fridge now sitting a mother for vinegar that's uh, that it's been there for about nine years. So uh, I'm very interested in John's book because this is actually I'm one of the very few people that um, has experience in making their homemade vinegars. And so I'd be very curious to learn about his secrets and methods yeah, if that ever helpful. comes out. Yeah, it could definitely well, you know, be helpful. I hear John's going to be on your show. Well, we've invited him and he hasn't said no. 
So that's a plus. I know comic strip mm-hmm. blogger really wants us to get JCD. He thinks he's the hard get because I know he was he was asking you, maybe you can get JCD on the show today. And uh, I, I like yeah. what you told him you, luck with that. you weren't going to bring any wine 2000 miles to John's yeah. house. Because uh, I got to remember, John has to be bribed into doing things. John has had a rule for about, oh, I don't know, 40 years where he doesn't get out of bed in the morning. Unless there's some money to be made. There's got to be incentive. I don't say that in a negative light. I think John is very appropriately has that rule. And so if you want to, if you want to have John participate in something with you, there needs to be an upside. And John has gone to conferences that I've scratched my head and going, what the fuck? He doesn't belong to that. Why is he there? And then you realize it's because somebody's willing to pay him a lot of money to go there. You got so, something. Yeah. Well, because he's a driver. Yeah. 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 He'll, you know, he, he, if he needs to be a car guy, he, and this is a guy who's driven the same car for 30 years, he'll pretend to be a car guy for you if you pay him a lot of money. So it, it's, uh, it's something that, um, that I think, uh, would be interesting to have John on. But on the flip side, uh, you have to consider what, What's John's upside on this? Uh, is John going to get somehow more paying audience out of coming on your show? Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. So, so maybe, you know, maybe what you do is you, you pair John up with uh, some other expert on vinegar. And I don't mean me. I mean, somebody who's like a published expert on vinegar. No, you're, you're a soon to be published expert. I think. Well, I'm eventually to be published on vinegar. That's for sure. I mean, I do. I've, I am a published author. I've got two books out there, but I, they're definitely not on vinegar. I mean, and the, I was so kind of hoping with Dvorak, it would just mm-hmm. be, you know, I'm the guy that does art for all the shows and always doing stuff for no agenda. That would be a little, you know, I wash your back. You wash mine kind of a thing. Yeah, maybe. Well, let's just uh, let's get this out of the way. And <laughs> that's that's what you're going to hear. Yes. Which is fine. Yeah, let's just let's, you just get this out of the way. So, uh, well, yeah. What uh, would you guys want me on this show for again? Whatever that is. And then let's just get that out of the way. And then I can go back to doing my own thing. <laughs> as long as we get 60 minutes in, then. CSB oh, yeah. 60 minutes. I mean, that's asking for a lot. Dude. I know. 60 minutes is significant. It so. is, it's a significant amount of time. Uh, he I, could be watching trains during that time. Well, you know, doing there, that there are while, other activities. You could podcast while watching trains. You could look out the window at the same time. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. And sometimes you can tell when John's doing that because he's answering questions that were asked about 10 minutes earlier. <laughs> well, that could just be the lag in clean feet. Too. Oh, yes. Clearly, the clean feet is to blame on that one. It's hard to tell. I, I did be anything else. I mean, you mentioned the great El Rushbo Rush Limbaugh, and I thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. When he passed away, they were talking about him on no agenda. And one mm-hmm. of the news, you know, a coverage of it said something about how he was instrumental in the bunch of people being podcasters. And I think Adam took umbrage yep. to it, but I didn't quite understand why. I think it was maybe just a misunderstanding there because without Rush Limbaugh, I don't think you have most of those conservative podcasters because it's not about being on the radio or being a podcaster it's about just getting behind the mic and no matter where the signal's going there's a lot of people that are doing a podcast or radio show because of rush limbo now they wouldn't be able to do the podcast without adam's thing but you 
you know, Rush is an inspiration to a lot of people. I think, I think in a lot of ways, uh, Rush has created the format that most people in podcasting use, with a few exceptions. Like public radio just does their same public radio they did 45 years ago on podcasts. There's no real difference there. But, um, but for most podcasters that have a one mic setup and somebody on a remote, like doing an interview, gee, what we're doing right now, this is very similar to the Rush uh, format, to the format he really created. And I will say for me personally, um, Rush was absolutely the guy that got me interested in, um, and it has nothing to do with politics, but got me interested in this sort of monologue format. And the reason was because that I kept listening to it over and over every day. And uh, it's amazing that he did three hours a day, five days a week for as long as he did, because that's not an easy format to do. And I remember in 1990 listening to Rush and hearing the sound of the newspaper fluttering as he's holding the New York Times or, uh, you know, I can't remember if it was the Times or the Wall Street Journal. One of those two. And he would do that sound exactly what you just did. You must have a cool sound effect board nearby. Yeah, I have a piece of newspaper. (laughs) What's that? I don't have that. Where'd you get those? I've got a note from Sergeant Um, Fred for that was uh, a donation. But I used to love with uh, with uh, rushed with the in my formerly nicotine stained hands. And exactly. He would go. He was. Yeah. And entertaining. So he was he was entertaining and he was very he he really created that format in a lot of ways uh, he certainly popularized that format and and you know for whatever contribution adam made which is substantial to podcasting adam didn't really create the format because adam's podcasting format really initially was the same as he'd done previously which, which was a disc jockey right and and so before the big crackdown on using commercial um songs commercial audio uh if you listen to the early episodes of daily source code it's basically adam being a dj with little bits of updates on what's happening with podcasting oh somebody else just got a new podcast you guys should check out oh here's some interesting uh, email i got and so he's interspersing that between songs which is very typical of what djs were doing back in the 80s and 90s so, uh, you know, I don't want to take anything away from Adam, but the idea of having a monologue show of just speaking into a mic by yourself uh, and and even beyond that of having uh, telephone guests on that you will talk to as well is a format that Rush absolutely popularized and for the most part actually created. Well, and there were so many people what talk radio was usually was well one maybe at times usually two people talking about just stupid stuff and then people would call in and speak for 20 seconds and they'd hang up on them and then they'd riff for you know until they took the next call right and the one person monologue is the thing that was totally different and there were a lot of episodes where rush didn't take calls i mean that was the majority oh, of yeah. he wasn't taking calls there yeah. was always way more callers waiting and never getting on than, than the number of callers that actually made it on the on the radio. Yeah, I always wonder how many people would call up and then just sit there for two hours and be like, sorry, <laughs> he, he didn't. He never got. Yeah, to most. That was the majority of people. I, I called Rush, I think, five times and I never got on. Oh, 
I wasn't on the ones, but I was a big talk radio caller guy. I call in a lot of the local shows. I got to know some of the guys that ran the local uh, shows on a couple of different stations um, in town. And in fact, I, I think I mentioned to you this just in us talking, I did my first, uh, my first radio um, submission tape, like, trying to get on the radio in 1995 uh on the talk radio station so i i did a i got there's a term for it i'm spacing out now the uh, it, well yeah your promo reel your uh, <clears throat> yeah my reel right so i basically did that and uh the feedback that i got from the gm was um you know this is this sounds pretty good but you you don't talk enough here because what i did on it because i thought that was super creative at the time is I had a buddy of mine pretending to be a guy calling uh, on the phone because that's the format everybody's using, right? So you talk a little bit and you get the caller in and then you talk based on what the caller says. <clears throat> and he says, you know, what, what I really need to get from you is like a, a 45 minutes of just straight you talking and uh, that'll help evaluate, the, uh, you know, where you are amongst other people to get a, a and of course, if I would have gotten on the radio at that point in the mid 90s, um, and I just got of sort of got out of politics at that point. I ran for uh, state office back then. Um, I I was very much going to be doing a political podcast. Essentially, I was going to be doing a political radio show. But also considering that if you're the new guy, you're basically on, um, you know, after the UFO guys at about <laughs> three a.m. till about six a.m. So the three to six. <clears throat> The 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. slot would have been the one that I would have been, yeah. <laughs> that I would have been actually uh, getting on until years and years in the business where you, they might, you know, push you back uh, to something that was still not drive time, but at least uh, a, something with more than five people as an audience. Right. Well, if you, it, could, it, if you could prove you got an audience between 3 and 6 a.m., then they might actually want to put you on elsewhere. Well, there were a couple of guys that were doing those late, late slots and i remember one of them was a blind dude that was fairly famous in the talk radio space because he you know he'd always been blind and this was a a great medium for him but i remember he and then his producer ended up taking over his slot after he died but i think they had it was just like freaking podcasting dude they had like four or five people that were the regular callers that were all somehow a little screwed in the head there was something clearly wrong with these people uh, they were, you know, if you want to be nice, you could say that they were on the spectrum. Um, they were in eccentric. some way. They, well, first of all, these are people that are awake at 3 a.m. Right. Insomniacs. Okay. So that tells you something yeah. about them. Secondly, they were entertaining and they were entertaining because they were highly opinionated. And uh, a very highly opinionated person is always a lot more fun than somebody that's just a get along, go along with everybody else personality type. In fact, I, I mean, no offense, but they kind of remind me of comic strip bloggers attitude. Um, so they, these were folks that created that were sort of like the the in crowd around that radio show that only people that listen to the radio show consistently, they would start recognizing the same callers on. And then they were being treated more like, you know, sort of unpaid uh, uh, regulars, <laughs> right. right? Unpaid regulars in the show. 
and and I I bring that up and and it all ties back together uh, it, because that was essentially what Adam was doing uh, on the daily source code towards the later part of daily source code. So I want to say probably like in the 2007, eight, nine time frame for sure by 2008, he was kind of doing that format where there were some regulars that were sending him audio clips of themselves, including, by the way, comic strip blogger. Yes. Yeah. And they were playing back. Uh, he was playing back these audio clips and then commenting on them. And the, I can't remember what he called them, but it was something like the Mary Misfit band or something. I mean, there was a, it, it was a um, sort of a, a, a nice, but slightly derogatory term <laughs> for, uh, you know, it was like affectionate, but derogatory term. Right. Like for his, his, yeah, kind of like troll. Exactly. That's a good point. And he, he totally calls people that are probably the most active listeners during the show's live. He, he refers to them as trolls, which incidentally, I, I have a clarification question on that because I've always thought. And I've listened since, you know, for, I can't say 20 years, but I've certainly listened to his shows for 15 years plus. Um, but when he says trolls and he talks about the troll room, I've always thought that was the IRC. But the number that he gives is clearly the number of people on the live stream listening, not the number in the IRC, because I'm looking at the IRC. Correct. And the IRC has about a quarter or a fifth of the number of people in it as are actually listening to the stream. Correct. So <clears throat> clearly I've been under a misapprehension that <laughs> trolls are only the IRC people, which there's usually about 250 to 300 ish in there. While the number that he uh, says on the, well, number of trolls is like 1400 or 1800. Well, that's the number of stream channels, not the number of people interacting in IRC. Correct. And it's been pointed so, out. He said he's Has aware it? and he, he? he's okay, not because I was going to make him aware. I was going to bring another <laughs> bottle of wine to him and then on the bottle label, right? Hey, by the way, you're wrong about trolls, dude. Here's what it actually is. He'll be, you only have 200 trolls. You're, you're blowing this whole thing out of uh, reality. You're, you're mis, uh, mispronouncing the number of trolls in here. His answer. But yeah, will be, I guess it, I know he'll take the wine and slam the door in your face. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Thanks for the wine, Gene. Exactly. No, the wine is what gets you in, but there's no guarantee of of staying there. That's for sure. And it's I don't know exactly where that started. But yeah, that's the number of people listening on the stream, which you can pull up. If there were that many people in the chat room, that would get a little bit crazy, which is the troll room. So I mean, well, but that happens troll. all the time. That that happens all the time on uh, on uh, uh, live stream YouTube's where you have oh, something yeah. with eight thousand people watching concurrently. And about 7,000 of them typing messages. Yeah. And it's just like this nonstop stream of shit you can't read at all. That's scrolling by so fast. That's why you have to pay now if you want people to see those. That's in the super chat. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I've stopped. I've stopped trying. I, I think I mentioned previously uh, when we talked that uh, or or on my, on my other show or whatever that uh, I was. Uh, about every other week or so, I was paying uh, five bucks or whatever it is, minimum amount to Tim Cast and Tim Pool Show with the message, hey, you need to get Adam Curry on. <laughs> and I did that for probably two months. And and eventually I just stopped because they weren't reading them anymore. They read the first couple. 
And I've seen other people that have also donated with the same message, but they've stopped reading them altogether. So I think at this point, you're right in that they're just sick of hearing Adam Curry. And uh, it's not helping things to have people keep telling him to get Adam on his show. Um, And unfortunately, Adam doesn't really employ any kind of PR machine where pretty much everybody else does. So that you'll have PR people contacting shows like them and saying, hey, uh, we need to get your this guy on your show. And here's why. And here's where I think a topic you guys are covering is going to be perfect for him. And just have that conversation with his producer to try and get in something scheduled because I, I, we did the same thing. And I can say we, because I was one of the people doing it uh, with trying to get Adam on Joe Rogan's show for like six months with zero results. And it wasn't until the formerly fat uh, producer or, or uh, director of, uh, um, well, anyway, Kevin Smith. Right. The, the formerly fat Kevin Smith was right. on the show, I think. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. Adam Curry, he's a guy in the podcast. You should totally have him on. And you was like, really? No, I've never heard of this guy before. So <laughs> clearly there's zero communication going on between the six months of messages that I both typed and read other people posting and says, you should get Adam Curry on. Like that made zero difference. So I, I'm pretty much at this point. Um, uh. I'm not going to bother trying to get anybody on anything anymore. It's, 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 it's on them because clearly these shows have a gated mentality. Like they're not reading or even if they're reading the comments from people that are giving them money, they're not really listening to themselves, reading the comments. They're just, you know, on autopilot reading them. And Joe blow says that uh, we have a really cool person we need to talk to. Yeah. Yeah. We should probably look at that. And that's literally the last they think about it. You they have to be blessed by Kevin Smith. That's the uh, that is the yeah, secret. Well, maybe that's the person we need to get on on Tim Pool's show. Then this Kevin Smith. Maybe I mean right behind me. If we were doing video, you would see the uh, um, you know how they make the like Jesus candles, the mm-hmm. you know the really tall uh, you know candle with the, the Catholic uh, ones. Yes. Yeah, and the pictures. Uh, yeah, I I've have heard one, of those. I have one with Kevin Smith. <laughs> and a picture and i do i want to make i want to get these made up we were talking about this right before christmas i need to uh get adam to get me a high res version of his podfather picture mm. you know you know the one he uses it as his uh, i don't know icon. if there is a high res version that see that would suck because that would be really that cool. picture is really old but it would be okay we could recreate it because that would be really <laughs> awesome for the jesus candle to have like it's i think that, that was like several marriages and several hairstyles ago <laughs> well we could re it's the magic of hollywood we could recreate yeah. it he can uh we could i said the great thing then you could have we could sell him as a pair if we can get jcd on to do to it a photo did, for I, one too. if you haven't seen i'll send you my photo that i did of him with a cigar which i think is really good yeah yeah i would uh, uh i'll I'll send you that. And even that photo is like 10 years old at this point. And there's so um, much merchandising that can be done. Yeah. Well, there, there is. And this is, this is one of the areas that I think the show in general and Adam in particular, I've just never really thought about trying to promote uh, any kind of um, merchandising stuff. Like they're, they're, they're happy to get donations from people that do it for them. But, they themselves have never really been 
interested in doing it. And I think I mentioned um, no- you when we were talking direct the one mm-hmm. day, but I was absolutely floored when I heard from the guy from No Agenda Shop the other day that up and through uh, February, the amount of cash, because it's used, used to be a third of everything, mm-hmm. but now there's like a certain amount. I don't know if it's, it is uh, 333, something. Yeah. Yeah. How they're doing all the splits. But I said, you know what? I don't, I don't want my split. Just send it to the show, but just credit it to me. So that way, why would you do that? You want to get your split and then you send it to the show and get it credited to you. Well, don't leave somebody else to do that. You know, the money's already with them. The otherwise I would also have to get a tax form saying I made that uh, money, which, you know, I get well, but so what you're saying is they should pay the taxes on the money and then send it on your behalf, which is kind of what they're doing, because they said what it actually works better for them because they can yeah. write off anything they send as a marketing thing. So they can also then. But so could you. I mean, you yeah, but I would get still that have money to, and do 100 percent marketing for your own podcast. But I would still have to pay income tax on it. But that might not. Be no, a, you wouldn't. Uh, it'd be, it'd be a, a, a business be a expense for your podcast. It, it would cost you nothing in tax. Yeah, we might have to think. I'm not providing that. tax advice for anybody curious. <laughs> you're not a you're not an attorney or a an, a, a certified public accountant. Well, I really wasn't no. expecting it to be. Although I do play both of those on TV. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, yeah. I could, I, you know, I wasn't really expecting it to generate enough money to where I would to worry about. Yeah. yeah. The fact is, though, just the one thing we have sent them which was the uh, deep state university stuff which i guess is selling well because my third on that has gone to uh over a thousand dollars which has all gone wow. back to the show but it's like oh wait these these guys are doing some pretty good business uh, yeah with the, uh, so that's three grand worth of that product that was sold on minimum yeah yeah so i don't know if you watch Timcast at all but one of the guys in there luke um who i really think uh expresses my opinion of most things very well he, he's because uh, tim is definitely like a lefty that's kind of seen the light where luke is always just a 100 percent libertarian guy but luke effectively makes his living selling t-shirts and i know it sounds kind of funny but you know he he does have his own youtube channel but he's also on tim's thing as a co-host uh but he's talked about how like the t-shirt sales are 90% of an income and the t-shirts are just, you know, they're politically incorrect t-shirts and he, I don't know if he's the one creating them or he's got another person that he outsources that to. And then he's just marketing the t-shirts, but whatever it is, I think in his story, he's got like 20, 25 t-shirts and that's generating six figures. I believe it. I mean, cause I had to do that with a country artist that I was running a fan club for way back in the day. And once you started getting the production costs on the shirts, you realize how much money people were making on T-shirts. Because even oh, the yeah. nice black, you know, the black shirts are more than the white. And that's totally racist. But you could pick up a cheap, just white cotton T-shirt for about five bucks. And this is going back 20 years or so. Yeah. And if you're doing large quantities, you could do them super cheap. I, I know a guy in town that that's a um, that's the. I want to see this. He might be the CEO, but he's one of the founders of a, uh, a company that I'm spacing out the name of. I'll think of it, but they actually did mostly t-shirts for music bands for their first 
decade of life and then have pivoted from that slightly just doing merchandising products in general. But if I did a thousand shirts, I could get black high quality shirts down to about two bucks a piece printed, which is nuts. And you sell them for 22 or 25. Uh Yeah. Which is why, you know, these, and I get it because they do decent work. The people over at like Teespring or cafe press. And I understand they're doing a slightly different business because you can send them a design and make one of it. And that costs more. Right. Those are always more. Yeah. But the reality is, if you have a product that's really selling well through somebody like that, they're making a killing and you're not. So it comes down to Amplifier. Sorry. The company name was Amplifier. Well, that sounds like a music based business. No question there. Yeah. Right. No, they're they're Well, and they're in Austin. So obviously they were very music related, but they did T-shirts for. I think at one point, maybe five, six, seven years ago, he was talking about how they did T-shirts for uh, like five out of eight of the top uh, booking traveling music performers in the U.S. Well, they were doing they were doing like, you know, T-shirts for people that were filling 20,000 person stadiums. And they do move a lot of merchandise. Mm hmm. And you can sell it for a lot more than you would a T-shirt that, you know, wind up at your local Target or something like that. Yeah. Well, and people a lot of, well, because they're souvenirs. They're not just a T-shirt. They're not clothing. They're souvenirs. Right. And if you so most I, I people never is, wear them, so that way you don't even have to make them good T-shirts. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so given your 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 talent in this regard, and uh, especially since. John actually, uh, according to Adams on the last show, John actually reached out to you and said, Hey, uh, we, we want you, we're going to, what's the word for it? We're, um, commission. yes, commission. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> we want you to, to create a cover for this uh, week's episode. We're going to commission that. So given that, I, I don't know why you're not just doing like a t-shirt business and generating all kinds of money. I should have the official. Um, no agenda artist uh you know the little trophy next to the name i mean it's not hard to do but i don't know how much those individual designs would kick out and it would, would i guess the reality would be the thing you'd have to do is just upload every design onto something like teespring let it go and see what it does and if there's enough mm-hmm. sales then you can pivot yeah exactly that i love that model is you just use companies that do one-offs as a break-even test source, so you're just determining like what do people like based on sales at whatever the lowest price you can set on there are, and then if there's one particular design that seems to be hitting a lot more than others, you take that design off of there, and then you start selling it directly. You pop it out. Now, one the one thing I thought would work great for No Agenda because I think there's enough people that like No Agenda that pressing an episode. And I know John and Adam's hatred for doing anything special that's not released. So I know this is really a pie in the sky thing, but there have been a few podcasts that I listened to that released a show on vinyl. And I think that would be a very interesting test. I think if somebody wanted to take one of their recordings and put it on vinyl, they would not be opposed to it. Well, we, you could do that, but I mean, it would, I think it would really sell if there was. Hey, the story of this untold elsewhere that was content that they provided. I don't think that matters, dude. I, I think you're just creating a uh, a souvenir again, a, a block 
against doing it yourself that that really doesn't need to be there. Um, I would never buy something like that because I think vinyl is crap compared to digital. No, but there's a lot of so people wrong. that disagree with me. <laughs> yes. And those people will buy it on vinyl, regardless of whether it's exclusive or not, just because it's vinyl. That may be so, true. I think that you have to understand that people that have a misconception about vinyl being higher quality, they will, they're willing to spend the money just to get the vinyl, even though that vinyl came from a digital source. It's, it's pointing out in the troll room. If you do a whole no agenda show, you need it to be like a six LP extravaganza. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Um, like, I don't think anyone's done this. I've thought about doing it, but I've been way too lazy. What if you did a no agenda with no clips? You took all the clips out. That's grumpy old Ben's had, thing. Yeah. You just, it's who? That's grumpy old Ben's. We, we are no agenda without clips. No, 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 no. I mean, using actual John and. No. Yes. Just take out the clips. That, and then yeah. For that, uh, it would be a much shorter show. It would be a significantly shorter show because the, the clips are, well, okay. Two things. Take the clips out and take the, uh, the thanking people for the nations out, you're down to an hour. <laughs> and I'm not being a dick and saying that. I'm just saying that if I, I've looked at it and I did the math and I was like, yeah, okay, all right. So we got an hour of donations. We got an hour of clips and we got an hour of two guys talking. You're and like, it's the two guys talking part that I enjoy. Yeah. Slim it down. And you can actually mm-hmm. do four straight talking, especially talking that is being provided in low resolution mp3 files vinyl there is a format that will do up to an hour per disc because well and i mean doesn't vinyl just magically improve the quality just by you putting it on there no it does not (laughs) (laughs) that was not i will never because i've heard people say that that you know once you convert from digital to the analog the analog like smooths out all the edges of the digital and it just sounds so much smoother and better and it's just like music to your ears. It all depends on the source material. That is a big part of it. But vinyl, I think to appreciate it, it's not a like microphones. It's not a cheap person's game. It's not something exactly buy a hundred dollars worth of gear. I, exactly. I'm totally right there with you on that. I like I, a good friend of mine's uh, dad was big into vinyl. And he had well, like a five thousand uh, dollar LP player, and uh, eight thousand dollars speakers, and a ten thousand dollar amplifier. And uh, if you listen through headphones, it was on a thousand dollar headphones going through a headphone amp that was like two grand. So all said and done, if you want to drop twenty five thousand dollars on this, and then only listen to LPs that were created for the audio file quality stuff, which I know a lot of classical music is, but I don't know about other types of music. Um, then yeah, uh, you can get a, a really good experience on that. But if you take that same amount of money and you go to live performances, it's just so much better. Well, not, well for you, there, it depends on the live performance. Cause I've been to a lot of live shows that the sound was horrible. It all depends mm. on. Fair it, enough. Fair enough. It depends on your it depends where venue. you're sitting. Like right. if you're on the stage and you know, you're listening to the same headphone amp, the musicians are, it sounds pretty good. Well, of course that would be the, the proper way to do it. Well, that's the way I've done it. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but fine. I mean, I have a uh, project of turntable now, which I think was about a $500 turntable 
The stylus was, you know, the needle part of it. The replacement was like 200 for the upgrade. Mm -hmm. And that sounds really good if the records are clean and not scratched up. And how long does that last? Because the vinyl, the whole point of vinyl is it's a soft plastic. Well, no, vinyl is not really soft at all. If you treat vinyl correctly, you can play them thousands of times. Oh, no way, man. Oh, yeah. I'm going to argue with you on that. No, look it up. No way. It all depends. You don't have to look it up. I I know enough physics. (laughs) I understand. But if you you have a is properly balanced, you know, if you properly have the weighting correct, you're putting about two to three grams of pressure on that. Exactly. It's a friction based system. It's a friction based system that that causes wear every single time you use it. Minimal, though, compared to now, if you get a Crosley turntable that you bought for sixty nine bucks, one play of that record is going to trash it. Yeah. Like this is what I liked about LaserDisc because LaserDiscs were the optimal version of that. Um, I don't know if you got into LaserDiscs at all back when they were popular, but yep, still have some. They, not okay, a player. So the, you, you remember LaserDiscs had analog audio on them? Well, it had actually wasn't it analog video and digital audio? Oh, well, maybe that's what it is. But it was, was really. I thought it was analog audio, but I thought that was the coolest thing is that you're they're they're essentially doing with a laser there. The laser is modulated by the grooves and then red in the same way that a record label is so that there's not a discrete set of bits that are encoded on there. It's actually encoded in an analog fashion. And then the, the mechanism obviously that's reading that can have a, a different type of um, A to D converter and the higher quality converter the better the quality, uh, the end result is going to end up coming out. But the idea of recording analog audio, but using a laser instead of a f- physical stylus, that to me made a lot of sense. Well, there is a turntable, the Fletcher and Carolyn Blaney. We're talking about this on Hog Story one day. There is a machine that will let you put your vinyl into it mm-hmm. and read it with a laser. So nothing. Ever now that's the cool. Vinyl. Ooh, I see. <laughs> if I ever got into vinyl, that'd be the kind of shit I want to do. Like, that that sounds like a much better way to do it. You like, probably don't even need to spin yeah. the thing. Whether it sounds good or not, you're like, you want to know what this is doing? A laser is hitting it. And it's, mm-hmm. it's like, that just seems weird. But I mean, I guess we're old because we went from no home video recording to the first Betamax in like 1976, mm-hmm. you know, and then VHS came a little bit after. And that was at the time we thought it was great people we thought the that was the picture was good enough which i think at the time the what the standard television was like 480 lines of resolution and the vhs and beta could it wasn't even that it was 240 well that's what the beta that's what the tapes could capture i think television was a little higher if it was but then when you taped it it wasn't like watching it live it wasn't like oh i can't tell the difference between the live record you know the live broadcast or yeah. the taped version of it and then i we, think the closest that that got was when super vhs came out oh yeah super vhs, super VHS was, was was a lot closer to you get the same thing that you saw live yes that definitely made a difference but then like you said the laser disc i remember when that was mm-hmm. the big thing and then the original players i mean if you didn't have the extra money kids Halfway through the show, you had to get up and flip the disc over. Which, oh yeah. Turns out, in fact, I, I I never knew anybody that had one that was out of flipping. Oh yeah, those were awesome. 
mean, that's for the oh. laziest. It just, you know, you heard a little yeah. motor and then it just did the, and I mean, it didn't actually flip it. There was just a way for the, there was either two lasers or the laser somehow moved up. I'm guessing there were just two. Uh, they probably mechanisms. just flipped a mirror or something. Yeah. Could be. But, but it, yeah, <clears throat> no, that was very, uh, that was very cool. And, but even still, they were so big. I remember watching a uh, 2001 Space Odyssey on the laser disc, and I was like, holy shit, does this look good? And the problem is, I'd never seen that in the movie theater, so I didn't right. see the original print, which looked even better. But from compared to watching it off of tape or played on, you know, HBO or something, on the laser disc version, it was just so much sharper and clearer. And, and well, speaking of 2001, I, I always thought it was cool in there. That um, or interesting, maybe is the right word that in the seal, in the scene where Dave is taking out Hal's memory, he's basically pulling out optical memory and it seems so far future, high techy, impossible stuff uh, that, you know, memory would be optical and, and laser based instead of uh, uh, using static essentially which is what we had at the time right well the little magnets yeah yeah which you you could fry fry it very easily and and i remember like back then the about the most interesting thing that they had was they developed bubble memory and bubble memory was really the first iteration of non-volatile memory that didn't need power in order to be able to uh, hold its data so you could use it's a, really for for people that are younger than us. It's a precursor to SSD cards. It was it was uh, a very tiny amount of storable digital memory that was non volatile. So you could you could shut the computer down and turn it back on, uh, and it would come back and and you still had the same data on there. Yes, which was uh, very helpful when back in the day my TRS eighty color computer. You just mm-hmm. hooked up a cassette deck to it, which rarely ever loaded right. And saving programs, you were literally just putting them onto a normal audio cassette. Like that yep. was a way to store computer data. It was basically writing modem signal to yes. audio yeah. tape. Yeah, it, it was pretty funny. And I remember having, I never had the TS80. I, I had a um, uh, was 64 it? No, no it was that super thin one. It was like a Sinclair or something, or a, it was like this super slim, really crappy computer that used audio tape for storage. But I remember it had a flight simulator on it. Oh boy, what was it? Up, up, uh, All the good tech back in the day when we were promised how much stuff you could be able to store, you know, on the head of a pin. And you always thought, it, like you said, it was very futuristic. And oh, now yeah. you have these little USB drives that almost have nothing sticking out of the port that's left. And there's way more storage on them than. Yeah, you there's can believe. there's gigs and gigs on there. But even if you look at the progression of SSDs, was it, was it the VIC 20? No, it wasn't VIC 20. It was it was a I want to say it was like a Timex Sinclair or something like that. I don't know if that's even the computer. Oh, name, yeah, Timex it, Sinclair. NetNet just posted the wiki page on it. Oh, OK. All right. You know, if I would have prepared for this, I would have actually had the um, troll room up and running on my monitor so I could see people talking as as well. But I'm not prepared. Clearly. I mean, they're only saying nice things about you, Sir Gene. Oh, well, OK, good, good. Well, I'm glad <laughs> it's because I can. <laughs> the technology yeah, uh, has improved. 
Yes, technology has improved. Uh, that is absolutely true. It, but our, I don't know if our brains have. Well, no, they haven't. That's the same old brain. <laughs> and you have too much technology and the ability to do too many things. I mean, I think it's fantastic that you can broadcast full you know, 4K video across the globe and have people watch it almost instantaneously yeah. with streaming. That is the yeah well tell that to defango because he was getting into an argument with me on no agenda social about nobody does 4k 720 is great that's all you need like i would agree for most people uh, you're crazy no that's insane no for yeah for streaming that's nuts 4k no that's what it's for 4k (laughs) is exists to be used that's how how, why would i watch a low resolution stream i i look at myself and i told him like i'm taking up a quarter of the screen that you're broadcasting in 720 I'm basically in 360p. 360 is what we had in 2000, in 1999. When I was in, oh my God, it's literally like probably before he was born in 99, I was sitting there in Costa Rica with a camera and sending myself uh, in video format back to the US. I was like, uh, this is, this is such low resolution. I, I, I honestly, I'm not sure I would have accepted his invitation had I known they were going to stream at that low resolution. See, I have crappy eyes, so 720p is fine for me. The uh, audio is much more important, which is why well, when there are some shows on YouTube, and uh, I'm, I'm looking at you, Paul, the book guy, if you're listening, his show that he just started, the guests mm-hmm. all sound like, they're talking from back here, and oh, yeah, I, yeah. I can't, I can't, I try, but I can't. It's just there's something in my brain that says, do it right. And then I have to move on to something else because I know the technology is there. I've seen there, it. Yeah, work. there's literally studies that have been done that show that the perception of the quality of the information in the video is improved by over 80% if the audio is good. Because that's what we're comprehending. Seeing you is just icing on the cake. The things you're yeah, seeing you, in a video are not important unless you're showing photos or something you know graphs that people really need to pay attention to for most most youtube videos if you turn off the video and you just listen to it you'll have some idea of what it's about if you turn off the audio and you just watch it you're going to be clueless (laughs) yes rarely will you understand what what the hell is going on here there's those pictures that are not making sense when they go together that's this what are they talking about so audio is super important but i think we've also been conditioned to the idea that authoritative sources always have good audio not anymore well that's true too maybe i mean maybe it's an age thing maybe the next uh you know the the zoomer generation will not have that built-in understanding they're not going to rate things that have high audio quality as also being more authoritative and and that higher quality information yeah because they're way Uh, too used to consuming content of people recording things on their phone without great audio but there's no excuse because your phone is a computer and it's fully capable of both great video and great audio. You just have to utilize that. You, you get a nice set of road mics for 500 bucks yeah, or a lab and then you plug them into your phone and you have to have an iPhone because that's what they're made for. <laughs> and, uh, and you can, ju- and I've got this setup. I I've wanted for a long time to be able to do a high quality podcast on my phone and and have it sound decent and the first time i ever actually did that was when i recorded my in the dark episode of my podcast uh in austin with no power 
uh, by candlelight. And uh, I, I finally, I was like, oh my God, this is the only way I can possibly do it is by using my, uh, my portable setup because I didn't have power to my main computer. Uh, I couldn't run the Motu. Um, although theoretically, I probably could have plugged the Motu into a USB charging device that I charged in the car or something. But either way, um, there is software on the iPhone and you can get high quality mics for it. Uh, that will allow you to do very clean audio recording directly into a, an iPhone or iOS device, any device. I, I assume there's ways to do it on Android too. I just haven't bothered exploring that because the only thing I really use my Android for is for testing my podcast to see how that would work. Yeah, it's, well, it's all about just being able to get the microphone plugged in and they both allow you to do it just in slightly different ways. I mean, I was really enjoyed having to buy another $8 little cable that converts the lightning port into a headphone jack so I can continue using the headphones that I always listen to on the iPhone. But as I mentioned before on the show, it was free. I just had to pay tax on it. So right, I figured I would right. get it and play that's around. That's a good deal. No matter how you slice it, that's that's actually a pretty good deal. Yeah. And I like the smaller form factor and I don't mind that it's the SE, which is the it reminds mm -hmm. me of the iPhone I last had, which I think was the six or something like that. Yeah. 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 They're the and the SE's guts, the innards are way ahead of that iPhone six that you mentioned. Oh, yeah. They're, they're basically just the previous generation iPhone 10. Well, it's got the same chip in it now that the uh, the flagship one does. It just doesn't have all the cameras and all the other stuff. I thought it had a uh, one previous generation chip. I thought it had the current one. They just updated the SE hmm. last okay. year. Okay, I haven't looked at it, so maybe maybe it does do that. But typically, the SE model they just used one gen slower stuff, and obviously smaller screen and fewer cameras. But it's it's certainly fast enough to do all the games and everything else that you could do on a, on a phone platform from the, the flagship of the previous year. The question really comes down to who do you trust your privacy in the hands of more Google or Apple? And a lot of people are saying neither. And the answer to that is to go with an Android and then roll your own software, which, well, maybe I, I think that there's a different answer. I think the different answer is privacy is not a binary thing. And ultimately, privacy comes down to what information are you putting out there that you don't want to be public? And for some reason, a lot of people got in their heads that any information they put on their phone needs to be private information. And that's just not true. Most things that you, you have on your phone really doesn't matter if they're not private at all. Um, you, everybody talks about, well, my list of contacts, I don't want that shared. Fair enough. You don't want people on your contact list getting spammed, right? Yes. But that is, not a, that is not a private list. There are thousands of people that have the exact same information that you do in your phone about all your contacts because your contacts have shared it with a thousand other people themselves. So it's really more a matter of, like, what would be absolutely private? Well, there's a lot of people of the younger generation that seem to enjoy taking nude photos of themselves. Yes, on their phone, which is the dumbest on their possible phone. thing you on can do. On their phone, on their internet-connected device Yes, well, that is backed up across the internet. That's right. Syncing it to the cloud doesn't yeah. help. Yeah, I'll just put my nude photos in uh, Google Cloud because, well, that's what my phone does for free anyway. 
And then my password is uh, password123. You know, there there should be some uh, actual, uh, I guess, um, what would be the word? Uh, fault? I don't know. Uh, yeah. On people for for doing stupid things. Like, right. it Nobody. shouldn't just be up to the tech companies to say, oh, well, you let my nude photos that I had on my phone and backed up to the free cloud backup service, you let them get loose. Like, no, no, you were an idiot for taking nude photos of yourself and putting them on your phone or any, any internet. Y- if you want device. nude photos, you do what like normal people do. You hire a professional photographer to come <laughs> in and do it for you. I and don't know make if that's you... what normal people do, Gene. Well, I mean, <clears throat> I used to be a professional photographer, so that's that's certainly what some people do. But you got that call then, quite often? Uh, as often as I could. <laughs> it's good work uh, if you can get it i don't know if people are aware dallas is um where i used to live when i did photography dallas is a very very liberal city in the um in the sex sense of the word uh people in dallas are very free with uh with their liberties on that count uh they're, they're not prudes let's put it that way and this is the funny thing is everybody doesn't live in the south always assumes Oh, everybody in the South, they're total prudes. They're like way behind the times. Well, not so much. If you actually look at uh, sex surveys uh, done in different parts of the country, what you realize is that people in the South and Dallas in particular, for some reason, I don't know exactly why, they are the kinkiest, the most uh, like openly, you know, whatever, open to to, uh, talking about and demonstrating stuff. Of any other city in the country, like Dallas makes San Francisco look like they're uptight. <laughs> well, you look at it, and is there something you're going to get if tourism goes way up for Dallas? You got, you got <laughs> something going on here because people are like, "Oh, I'm going to go check Dallas yeah, out now." Check, I'm I'm serious. I mean, Dallas is it. It's well known by people that live in Dallas. I don't think it's very well known outside the country, but it, it has the the largest swinger community in the world. It hosts a whole bunch of gay festivals and events um and you know and yet people live in little uh houses with picket white fences like it doesn't have to look like san francisco for people to have a very open attitude about sex and that's where things work yeah yeah absolutely and yeah i've i've done a lot of photography in dallas of various things i've been to some dungeons out there i've done (laughs) i've done some fun uh fun shoots in dallas so if you're if you're interested in that type of thing, then definitely check out Dallas. Okay, quick live poll, trolls. Who has a dungeon? Raise your hand. I'm just curious if anybody has a dungeon. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you well, never know, <laughs> dude. The uh, the dungeons in Dallas. We're not talking like somebody's basement. We're talking like six to eight thousand square foot industrial space that's been converted. Okay, see that's excessive. But I guess that's I, like a real dungeon. You have to give them props for for doing that i suppose well i mean they're 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 businesses people have memberships well yeah 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 it's like a golf club a lot Same of exact thing. podcasts just happens to be a dungeon yeah oh there are podcasts yeah i mean they're, they're <laughs> i'll bet you john subscribes to those podcasts <laughs> yeah our buddy boobery who was on the last show said to ask you about the lizard lounge is that a thing the lizard lounge um i'm trying to think of what context that would be in I don't know obviously the lizard lounge yeah lizard lounge 
I don't know if that was supposedly it's, in Dallas or uh, yeah, was that a, a Dallas context thing or was that a because I have pet reptiles, so they could have nothing to do with <laughs> Dallas and it could have something to do with. Uh, yeah, he said it was a goth bar in Dallas, so I don't. Oh, know if you were- oh, really? Um, you know, I left Dallas about a decade ago, so if it's newer than that, then I wouldn't have gone. I had I did go to a couple of goth. Well, I can look it up while we're talking. If it, ha- I if it happened to after some- somebody shot Jr., you don't remember. Wait, no, no, it's definitely, I was, I was, no, I was not in Dallas when that J.I. was shot. I was, you were going to make me say something that wasn't true. <laughs> I was not in Dallas, damn it, when J.I. was shot. I have no idea who, uh, uh, who, who shot J.R. Um, all right. I might've actually watched an act at Lizard Lounge. Nice. Uh, and I might've been there for a Thanksgiving event or two. There's no okay. It seems like there would be no better place to celebrate Thanksgiving than at a place called the Lizard Lounge. A goth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so yes. Now that I looked it up on the internet and I've seen the photos, I have absolutely been there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a couple of Thanksgivings I spent out there. Uh, there were some uh, some interesting shows that were there that had nothing to do with music. Um, it was the church was on uh i think sundays or saturdays must have been sundays i would assume uh which was the church was kind of like the the pretend bdsm thing for kids nice and i say that and i'm sure i'll get some hate from people that thought it was real but it, it essentially was the hey i'm like 22 and i've feel that i've uh you know, I'm I'm like totally dominant to all my girls that I've ever dated, and so I'm I'm going to be like a dom master dude, and I also like goth music, so I'm going to go to this place. Um, and there were, I mean, it's not a bad place to go see like cute looking chick that are young and and in uh, leather, like legally young, not illegally young, but that was not even close to the tip of the BDSM scene in Dallas. Boy, you never thought we'd talk about this topic, would you? You never know what you're going to hear. No, no, no. That's right. This is a show that breaks all uh, stereotypes. We are very much unscripted, which I think most good podcasts are. I was on page seven. What are you talking about? (laughs) You're going off a script. I think you got the wrong wrong information. Oh, wait. Were we not supposed to talk about BDSM on this show? Was that the other other podcast I was getting interviewed for? That's the show we're doing later. That's the... uh, Grumpy old Ben's after dark. That's a totally different. You know, I actually, I should find out what podcast it is. I was on a podcast about three weeks ago, uh, randomly. That was a sexuality podcast done by some TV lady out of Nevada. And the topic was, um, was non-monogamous relationships. And uh, somehow I got pulled into this thing. So I got interviewed on it for like an hour and a half. So this was and, just something on uh, Clubhouse. Yeah, yeah, totally. Club. Oh, that's the thing. Clubhouse has a bunch of stuff like this going on, where people are just a bunch of podcasters. So you're looking to get either interviewed or you want to find other people to interview. Clubhouse is a good place to do it. The best reason to be on Clubhouse, it drives Adam crazy. <laughs> the best reason yeah. to be on there, just keep talking about Clubhouse. Adam's like, that is so ridiculous. And I think the reason is because um, his his other co-host. Um, Mo was on Clubhouse and didn't like it. 
And so he was bitching to Adam about Clubhouse. And if anybody doesn't know the history of Clubhouse, when Clubhouse came out, it was marketed as a sort of um, uh, a FUBU kind of a thing for us, by us, meaning it was targeting a certain demographic they were appealing to, which is black people. Right. And whoever was investing in it, and we now know it's a Chinese company, actually. Uh, Surprise. That, yeah. It's everybody. Like the Chinese own something like 68% of all U.S. debt right now. So it should be zero surprise to anyone that if there's a loan that was made, it was probably made by China. Uh, that's the most likely candidates. But anyway, so they started realizing that they're, they're targeting a niche, which is not going to be particularly of high value when they start going commercialized. Right. Well, yeah, because if you're, I mean, I understand this goes beyond borders, but in the United States, the black communities, about 15% of the overall population. And that's leaving a lot of people on well, it, it's, the outside. It's more than that. It's essentially, it's black people that are in particular wanting to only spend time talking to black people. That sounds a little racist, Gene. Well, I'm not calling black people racist. You are. No, but I said what I'm saying is sounded racist. Well, they do. If you think about it, then that anyway. So the idea was, um, you know, have a, a, a little specialty hub app thing, whatever. And we're going to market it to black people like, hey, all the black people aren't here. You, you, you can all talk to each other, which also sounds a little racist, yes, right? It does. So at some point in november they kind of started pivoting towards like well what we really want to do is make clubhouse the place where billionaires come and talk and they did that successfully and they got mark Andreessen, i think is one of the uh investors in in clubhouse so he was on there he started calling up his network of boys and getting people like guy kawasaki's on there every freaking night and you know for a fact the guy's getting paid to be on there he would not be wasting his personal time being on clubhouse just for the heck of it. He's clearly getting paid. And there are a number of other Silicon Valley portfolio type guys that are on Clubhouse. And so that's that became kind of the new direction they started heading. And so that attracted a whole bunch of marketing people and people that follow guys that are from Silicon Valley. And so when they uh when those people started showing up, they very quickly, in a matter of about a month and a half, were a bigger percentage of the clubhouse population. I, I hate using the word community, so I'm not going to say the clubhouse community. It's really not. It's just users, like clubhouse users, right? Right. And yeah, well, yeah. What, not, it's not like everybody that's yeah. on clubhouse has something in common, except we all use the same app. Right. Same app. And the, the podcasters have multiple groups and well over 20,000 people on there, which is really the main reason I, I kind of get on there. Um, anyway, so once that started happening, the, I don't know if, if there was still growth at all in people that were coming in from the original sort of black core base of clubhouse, but I know that the, the impressions that I was getting from the black groups on clubhouse, whether they were kind of getting pissed off at all these new white people joining and I, I, I don't really think it's a race thing. I think it's just simply like if you find a place that you feel is kind of like your local bar and all of a sudden the bar starts marketing to a bunch of Hollywood types or something or Silicon Valley types and all of a sudden they start coming in with their entourage and what used to be your local corner bar 
is now like the hot trendy spot that's hard to get into right for all these other people it's like well fuck them so i totally get that 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 has nothing to do with race it has to do with my group versus another group regardless of what that's about yeah it but when it musicians. is when it is around race that is a problem well yes and no because again i think the problem right now is um and maybe i need to get on most show uh the problem right now or get him on mine uh would it it's so, so incestuous man well, that's no, so I, I think bad I, I enough think you and i are talking to each other <laughs> I, think, I think it would be an interesting conversation oh man well maybe i'll reach out to him see if, if he wants to jump because in because that's one and, thing i mean i i will say right out front i am not totally up to date with mofax i don't listen to them all religiously like i do other shows but yeah. overall it seems adam is there to learn and very rarely pushes back on mo saying no no i think you're full of crap about that so what, what you're saying is that's what i need to yes I need that to is where back. you would come in and provide a service uh-huh. that would be like look no i don't understand this and this is yeah. why so why i respect your opinion you're going to have a little more work to do to convince me that it's right because on the face i hear you say this and i think this tell me why i'm wrong that yeah, would be yeah. a good and conversation to be fair i do have some standing in the matter and i'm sure if i ever do get mo on he's going to make fun of me for saying this but <laughs> But I, I have actually had three black girlfriends over the years. And that's great. I mean, that, and this, so, is, this like, is the epitome you know, of what I, the world should be. Well, what that tells me more than anything is that um, so, I, I, there's something appealing about me, black women. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we so need that's to find Democrat. out what that is. We need to so do here's a survey. The thing. I can say this with some certainty from having dated three black women that black, me, black women tend not to find black men appealing. It depends what people are looking for. And that is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so this is the demographic that I don't think Mo and Adam are capturing is black women. Well, because maybe, that's a, maybe, that, maybe by me being involved, they, they'll start capturing black women. You're gonna, I, mean, gonna, I don't know how you're bringing the black woman point of view to the show. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I well, mean, you I, can try. I, again, I'm saying this as that. I think uh, I think a lot of black women agree with what I have to say. Well, and that is that's not a race thing. There's much bigger differences i believe between the sexes than there are between the races amen absolutely there's that's something that a lot of people ignore for whatever reason yeah like why is adam being so racist and not having a female co-host right yeah he shouldn't have picked another old white guy there should be more diversity involved yeah and it should be forced and um Although for for YouTube channels, I mean, that seems to be a winning thing. If you want to get many, many more people watching, if you're doing especially like a tech show at a female, that's all that's there's no other qualification. Just well, you want. Yeah, I mean, that's but that's been the case forever. You want eye candy, right? And it doesn't even have to be, you know, if you've got a if you've got a tech show, your audience is 95 percent male. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> I'm overgeneralizing. It's probably like 89%, but either way, it's a majority is male. You have to, and know the when audience. you, when you take like a Morgan Webb or a, uh, Sarah Lane or, or, you know, somebody, any that, female, <laughs> any breathing life female. Yes. Yes. It, it all of a sudden people start thinking, ah, oh, it's one of the better tech shows. Yeah. I always watch that one. It elevates it. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no question about it, but, 
the thing with Clubhouse, or the Canadian girl. Oh yes, um, what was um, she was always on with Leo. Yeah, I, not, I don't remember her name. We, we we're talking. About Leo this had a day. whole slew of these girls that he propped up and gave platforms to. I remember there was a photo chick that oh, right, right knew like nothing about photography. It was embarrassing because I was doing a lot of photography back then. Watching that show, it's like oh my god, she is. It's like a girl got a camera as a gift and then took a couple of college classes for it, and she became an expert because Leo put her on the platform to the point where she had an app. In the uh, iPhone app store, that was like her photo app that clearly somebody else developed and some real photographers put together the list of features for. But it was, you know, she was the one that was uh, at the center of the the um, uh, the marketing for it. And Leo had these gals in a number of different topics. And I'm, I'm I know it's sounding super blatantly sexist what I'm saying, but. A, I don't care, and B, this was actually what happened. So it's not me that's sexist, it's Leo. Um, but if you look at he he created these sort of platform experts. It was his uh, standard practice, and easily half of them were female, and eighty percent of all of them, both male and female, were nowhere near experts in their fields. They're just people that I guess Leo knew or ran into or something. And uh, they decided to use them as the face of whatever the thing is. Now, there, there was a couple of guys that actually knew what they were doing. Uh, like Leo had their his um, uh, show with the uh, the security. What was it called? Security right, Steve something. Gibson, what's security now? Security now. Right. So Steve Gibson uh, is arguably not a security guy, but he is a guy that programs an assembly language, which gives him super credibility across the board because if you can program an assembly language you know what the computer is actually doing not what you think it's going to be doing and so uh having him on and he was really a like a disc repair guy uh more than a security guy but he he provided some insight that clearly leo laporte didn't because leo was a broadcaster not a techie he was a broadcaster that came into and started focusing on technology rather than a techie that became a broadcaster. And I think there's some story that John tells about how either how he got Leo into broadcasting or how Leo got him, got John into broadcasting. Well, it's one or the other. Yeah, I think it was the latter. He mentioned that, I think, the other day, that he used to be Did a he? guest on no. Leo's show. And it was Amber MacArthur was the Canadian girl. And she still Amber, has a yeah. podcast, but it doesn't Does look like it's video, okay. which maybe yeah. it's... Uh, well, know. she's, you know, 20 years later. Yeah, 44 years old, it's uh, so that might be... Uh, <laughs> That might be why. I don't know. I don't oh, you are that. so sexist. I, I swear to God. No, that is a producer mode, and uh, <laughs> we're just going by that. But yeah, that that only works for for Adam and John. Yeah, hey, I can I can pull the same shtick. The okay. The thing All with right. Clubhouse that I find interesting yeah. is the the one thing missing from podcasts. I mean, we talk about people mm-hmm. wanting to be Rush Limbaugh. The thing that m- is missing when you sit down to do a podcast at home is. Where am I going to get callers? That is something that still isn't a regularity, even though I was messing around with a service called Blog Talk Radio more than 10 years ago. I remember that. Yeah. It's still around, believe it or not, but still way too expensive. But the concept, I think, is. And the sound quality was god awful. Oh, it was horrible sound quality. I think that's gotten a little bit better, but that was a big point of leaving it 
back mm-hmm. in the day, because if you're going to spend the thousand dollars on your audio rig and then it comes out sounding like the worst AM signal you've ever heard, it yeah. didn't make a whole lot of sense. It but was horrible. They let you take calls. They gave you a phone number and there was right. a, actually a decent interface. <clears throat> well, doesn't don't aren't there some shows that are kind of around no agenda? Like, doesn't Nick the Rat take calls or something? He does, which he has a Google voice okay. line, which means you're right. fairly limited. And we could do that on Grumpy Old Ben's as well. Yeah, we can we can pull in the extra call. But that one at a time, not being able to do any screening on it takes a big right. part of well, you could screen if you had a producer. Yeah. Oh, if you had a producer that was there, it would be harder because you'd have to be on the same yeah. machine or you'd have to have a way to uh, transfer. So, so the I did one podcast that we that somebody else was paying for that we had a producer and really good audio gear that I put all picked out. It's always fun when you get to pick shit out and other people buy. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, that experience really led me to realize that. Um, I'm too much of a here, let me do it kind of guy to really benefit from having other people doing things. So like I would be spending too much time telling the producer how to do his job. (laughs) And, uh, uh, and you know, it's like nobody wants to work as the guy with a specific task. If you're currently being told how to do the task differently. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that's not a fun gig for him, right? And so, but I also don't want to be the one that's necessarily doing the producing, except for, uh, this is why I'm now in the monologue format, is because it's so much easier when I can do the show at 10 a.m. or I can do the show at 10 p.m. It's totally up to me because uh, it's there's no other person that, that is affected by a change in my personal schedule. Well, the other problem and, with trying to do calls is, you have to have an audience first, which is very hard. If you're starting out a podcast, how do you, you get you do. callers? I think you can fake that though. Or well, I mean, not, maybe I shouldn't say fake, but I, I don't think it'd be hard to get an audience. If you got a room in clubhouse well, that's and you it. said club, that's why clubhouse you, you is the changer here. Yeah. Yeah. You literally named the room, uh, looking for callers on topic X. And then when people come pop in there, you just start talking to them right away and say, Hey, do you, can you be a caller? I'm doing a show tomorrow. And uh, I bet you probably get five or six people that are willing to say just for the novelty aspect, if nothing else. Well, or you or record the call directly while they're on Clubhouse. Yeah, or you, well, you can't yet. It's technically against the terms of service. Really? It's technically illegal to do that. Yeah. Well, so, well, I mean, that... people do it. You see people doing it, but it's, it's well, yeah, actually it right hard. now breaking terms. Yeah. Well, the reason it's breaking terms is because Clubhouse is going to be introducing a paid tier, which includes a record button. So that okay. I get it. They don't want you so, to build them, even though you can press record on your own. They, yeah, but, it would be but like it's not about what, saying, it's well, not you, about what you can <laughs> technically do. It's what about you're agreeing to do or not do. So it would be exactly like different. clean feed saying, well, yeah, you can't record anything that happens on our feed because we have a paid recording service. And then how would they know you did it? Although, I mean, if you record somebody without them wanting to, well, yeah, they I mean, show technically. Up, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, that's one of the differences is, is clean feed. You're inviting people to in clubhouse. You're just there on somebody else's service and they do offer a free service. That means they get to dictate the terms of that service. No, not whether you are the service. That. You are the, you are the well, both. You're, you're the, you're, well, you're not the service or the payment. You're the product. Yeah, as well. Then. But, but it's, they're going to be changing that up by adding paid tiers as well. And so the two, 
The two changes that I'm aware of from some insiders in there is one is a pay tier, which will include the ability to record rooms, um, but not like any room. You have to create like you'll you'll your be able to record room. your own room, not everybody else's room. And then the other thing is um, uh, they will be doing a deal where uh, you can charge money to ha- allow people into your room. Like you can literally use Clubhouse to do the equivalent of a hotel conference event where you're charging people some amount of money to be, you know, in that event. So like zoom or Jitsi or well, except paid and audio only. So, okay. So you're getting less and you're paying more. Well, you're not necessarily getting less. I mean, you're like clubhouse has had guys. And I know most people have never heard of guy Kawasaki. Somebody who I've been a big fan of since literally the eighties. He was the original Apple um evangelist was his title so his job was to work with he was basically a pr guy right but he was the original apple pr guy for the mac and he did an awesome job and he got super rich uh and then he blew a bunch of money on other projects the way he says you know his one big win was uh the mac and then every other company he's worked with since he's basically lost money on so he got lucky Um, the first time out yeah yeah well he's also in his 20s back then i think he had a different mindset but um, either way, uh, he's been on there. A bunch of other people that I know of that have been on there that are interesting. So they've had a, like, would I pay to listen to Guy Kawasaki? Probably not. Would I pay to listen to Elon Musk? Probably not. Cause it'll all be free the next day that somebody right. else will be talking about it. But that's not to say that there are no people I would be willing to pay to listen to. Cause there are certainly some folks that are just. They're, they're not out in the public as much as an Elon Musk is. I guess so, why on that platform rather than them doing it directly? Because you see things. I mean, Twitter, I guess, has just launched something called Spaces. Which yeah, is it, it's, a it's knockoff. Yeah. And right. you're going to have a bunch of knockoffs because I did look into it. And there's nothing that can be patented from what I've seen. No, no. Of course uh, in not, Clubhouse. Putting audio together and uh, th- there's nothing yeah, to it's, stop it's, people from it, doing it. It really is like if you can imagine a directory of ongoing Zoom meetings where anybody can join any of the meetings and all the cameras are turned off. That's literally Clubhouse. Is this a directory and a hosting service for Zoom meetings in one? And you, you can select, well, oh, this topic looks interesting. I'll go in there and you join the Zoom meeting and there's everybody's cameras turned off and you're all talking. Or, well, the, the host of the meeting gets to decide who gets to talk. Right. But they it's, can do it's, multiple people. You can turn on as many yeah. people as you want, right? So uh, yeah, I think there are limits, but yeah, Overall. some rooms have way too many people. I think once you turn on more than about 20 people, it gets crazy. Well, once you because, turn on more than like three or four, it starts getting crazy. If people well, are yeah, trying th- to talk. Three and four is a practical limit, but like 20 is a hard limit for yeah, reality. It would get out of control. I can imagine no. quickly. So Clubhouse, I think it's interesting. I think it will get knocked off. I think that there will be versions of it done by other major companies. I can't imagine Google's not going to roll out their own Clubhouse. Well, and Clubhouse, Apple, maybe not, but well, Google, absolutely. Well, yeah, because not being on Android is the biggest thing. And I'm sure that is more of a snooty thing from the Clubhouse. It is. It's by design. It's it, basically what their appeal was. We want to get people that are worth more money to advertisers on here. 
And those people have iPhones. iPhones. Yes, the iPhones are the upper crust. You should come and come to our platform. Yeah, and you can make fun of it all you want, but it's true. (laughs) Is that poor people don't have iPhones. And and poor people are not the ones that they're trying to advertise to. Well, that's true. So, So, and the iPhone, like if they wanted to be really sneaky about it, they they can utilize some features that only the last generation of iPhones have. True, true. You know? Or they can so, go paid like, only. Yeah, but th- but that's not paid only is different though because anybody can pay, but not everybody can spend fifteen hundred dollars on an iPhone. Well, what if you're paying fifteen hundred dollars to be in the Platinum Group at? No, that's still different. That's still different because fifteen hundred dollars. If you're paying fifteen hundred dollars to be in some group for an event, it's probably either a company paid thing, not your personal. So you're getting sent there. Or if you're personally paying for that, it's just part of your, I don't know, personal growth or business strategy or whatever. It's still something that you're going to be, uh, you're, you're seeing it as a value that you can, you know, deduct that that's providing some value to you. A $1,500 iPhone is no different than a free iPhone, other than the fact that it's, the latest and greatest. And so really having a $1,500 top line iPhone of a latest generation demonstrates that you have disposable income uh, that or discretionary income that you're willing to spend on things that make you look good. Whereas paying the same amount of money to go to a conference on some particular topic just simply says that you're really interested in that topic. And the people that, are cost more if you're advertising to them are people with really high discretionary income because they're the ones that are going to order stupid $500 coolers that they're never going to get. <laughs> and then never get them. And uh, yes, trolls, uh, G- here, I don't know why every now and then you are clicking. What is wrong with your audio? I thought you were a professional at this. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to blame it on this uh, clean feed thing. Sure. Clean feed. Always, Dirty feed. Always Dirty blame feed. something else, even though I've used clean feed for hundreds of hours and never had that problem. I, I, the problem with clean feed is it doesn't use the pro interface, which is what I use for everything. And it works great. It's like this little hack thing you had me do for registry. It works beautifully. I don't know it, why it does I didn't not like you. work worth a shit. I have to, you know, I'll have to <laughs> ask our buddy Void Zero, the the guru behind all of the magical servers that no agenda uses. I gave him the information on that. He said he was going to do it. And I never heard back. Asshole, you wrecked he's my machine. busy. He's I, busy. He's always busy. Yeah. He's, he's always, got kids, man. He's got young kids. Yes. Two kids. And that keeps him busy. They're moving the no agenda main website over to those servers now, too. So he's been helping uh, Woodstock with that's that. Right. And, uh, that's right. Yeah. There, there's always it's amazing how long no agenda's main server was not theirs. It, well, they've been had it for a while now that Void had these things set up. And uh, I know he was saying the uh, how long it had been between a couple of them uh, being upgraded because, you know, they own the box, mm-hmm. which means mm-hmm. these things have been sitting around for a few years. And it's like if they're and I think they are on old mechanical hard drives. It's like, well, has anybody ever changed those? Out? Really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> if not, you know, there's that's why there's multiple servers, I guess. and. Uh, yeah well i remember so i was part of the what was it called what did it used to be it was like no agenda it was basically the no agenda after show podcast i can't remember the exact name of it but 
It was it was me. Uh, it was Mr. Oil, and it was Gitmo Slave. Were you on during those days, or was this no, before that, your time? That's a little before my yeah, time. Yeah, that's, those that's before your time. A little before my yeah, time. Yeah, so you're not even recognizing names. Um, so essentially, um, Mr. Oil, was, I think he originally came from, he was one of the misfits that Adam had on uh, on uh, uh, Daily Source Code. And he was a oil industry dude, uh, European guy uh, living in Europe. And he he was a, a supporter of No Agenda, and he initially, and then Gitmo Slave was a guy out of Florida that that's a total, um, uh, total Ben. Like he he is a Ben for some company down there, or he was uh, back then. What eight eight nine years ago, something like that. And um, uh, and so they started doing a. Well, no, let me backtrack. So Mr. Oil was the guy that provided the first hosting service for uh for no agenda stream. And it was uh I think it was actually hosting the podcast too. I think he was doing all the hosting initially. So because the original model I think was that Mevio hosted Adam's stuff for free. And then when Mevio got sold and adam was no longer a stockholder they kind of stopped providing stuff for him for free you how know dare who they, they is, turn right? the servers off what help me uh, right you, you know who media is you're, yes you're okay so that was the the, the company that adam had if you ever want to tease adam this is the best line because i get the same reaction now for over 10 years so it's just say that say the phrase um and you'll be able to quit your day job <laughs> that was the catchphrase that Adam had when they were launching Mevio, which Mevio's goal was to allow people to become professional podcasters by taking podcasts that had a moderately successful audience number and then matching them with advertisers. And so the idea was that right now you're doing a podcast that 10,000 10, people are downloading and you're Basically, if you're lucky getting a few donations from people to cover your hosting bills, why not allow Mevio to, uh, and I don't remember how much of this they did themselves, but effectively become your hosting company and insert ads and you get paid now for just doing the exact same thing you've been doing, except you're doing it through us. And so instead of doing a 10,000 person podcast where you're making, making 50 bucks a month, you're now doing a 10,000 uh, person podcast where you're making uh three, $4,000 a month. Right. That was the concept. And, and the tagline, which is what I just said before is, um, and you'll be able to quit your day job. Right. And was, ads are evil now. Well, they've always been evil, frankly, but uh, that's my opinion. Well, it's, but, it's less, uh, I mean, having to take those breaks and to talk about, I mean, there's nothing worse. It's I mean, always been evil, dude. In the 1940s, it was still evil when you had to watch television and there was ads for cigarettes on. Well, yeah. It's still evil. It's always Hi, been kids. Evil. Lucky strikes. It's the better digestive cigarette. Have one exactly. after dinner. Doctors recommend. Although I think it was a menthol ones that were better digestive ones. <laughs> Lucky strikes. The the notary the notable thing with those is just no filter. Yeah. That's... Like Lucky strikes was, I think, one of the last filterless cigarettes you could buy other than the. Um, 
Native American ones. What are those called? Uh, uh, I can't remember the Native American ones, but yeah, it, 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 the point is that that was clearly a sore thing for Adam. So if you want to ever piss him off, that's the phrase you use. Uh, but w- the reason I got on that whole bandwagon was so when he lost his free hosting, uh, then Mr. Oil chimed in and was like, well, I'll just spin up a couple of servers. It's not a big deal. It's cheap. Right. How much and bandwidth so, can you be using? Yeah. And, and so he was, I think when they started, it was probably two, 300 bucks a month. And then after a while, it was like, you know, five, 600 bucks a month that Mr. Oil was paying out of pocket. And Mr. Oil had sufficient funds to be able to do that. But they also started him and Gitmo Slave. So Gitmo Slave was a sort of the the guy that that Mr. Oil uh, didn't know a whole lot about techie stuff, right? But he had money. Gitmo Slave was a total Ben, and so he knew what they needed and where to find it. And they they brought in uh, Mark, the guy that's currently doing this Void Zero. They brought him in as a volunteer to do some of the grunt work. And so that was the original sort of hosting platform for, uh, no agenda. And, uh, yeah. And, and, and then, you know, I was a, a supporter and I got to know those guys and I ended up being a guest on the, the, whatever the afternoon agenda show was called. Uh, and quite often they would do things like interview people that were, somewhat tangential to the show uh they would uh, talk about stories mentioned in the show and so i i got to be a regular so i first i was a guest and i was a regular and then i was like a co-host of that whole thing and that lasted for maybe three years two and a half years maybe at least two and a half years. Now the question is, what made that breakdown? Because there have been talk we've well, kind of thrown exactly that around, what, which is like, yeah, is I can tell you exactly what made that breakdown. There's okay. two aspects. Number one is Mr. Oil got a disease, a chronic disease, means repetitive, that for several years nobody could figure out what the hell it was. He just like it. It, it seemed to me like it was the same symptoms as Lyme disease, but more intense. So you kind of lose your ability to really give a shit about anything <laughs> or even your train of thought. It's, you, it's yeah. Very- your train of thought. You just want to sleep. You don't want to move. You don't want to be disturbed. And combined with that, he was having huge stomach pains as well. And, uh, you know, it, he couldn't pinpoint like what could have triggered this or what happened, but he was in and out of hospitals for about two years. And if, if eventually I kind of lost track of him too. I think he's still alive, but I really haven't talked to him for quite a while. But the concept of doing a post no agenda live wrap up, we yeah. talked about it. I mean, I don't know if it's, if uh-huh. seen, I think his no agenda continues to grow in length. Well, that show had significant listenership. And I can tell you, well, you know this anyway, but certainly anything that immediately follows no agenda gets a large number of people staying on. Even if it's just for another 10, 15 minutes. Right. Because they're not but those people enough. in those 10, 15 minutes. If they've not heard of your show, they, they may hit subscribe. Oh, it's a big and reason so, why Grumpy Old Benz has a lot of subscribers. There's no question. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that the one time that uh, Bemrose put me on there after the show probably doubled my subscribership numbers. 
So it, it's a significant boost to be immediately right after known Jim. And the, so that was since he was hosting the infrastructure. He was the guy deciding what order shows on live agenda went on. Um, or, well, it was between really him and Gitmo Slave. And, uh, you know, Mark was kind of like the, the intern guy. He was like the, like he knew Linux and stuff and, but not so much on the networking side. He was the more more fresh meat that was brought in. Yeah. 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 Well, he was, um, he was happy to do it. He was volunteering. He didn't have a whole lot of money, but he's could happily do this. And, uh, what ended up happening is, um, because I was on that show, I ended up getting sucked into a number of those conversations. And at, at a certain point, uh, Gitmo Slave and, um, and, uh, Mr. Oil had, uh, decided that the amount of money and effort that it was costing to maintain and run this hosting service just for no agenda. Oh, yeah. W- was starting to get ridiculously high. You know, I mean, 500 bucks a month is already stretching it. Who, who wants to donate 500 bucks a month to a show? It's a lot of donation. Well, I know I've done that, but it's a lot of donations. And so when it got up into higher levels as the show popularity was growing, he, his first idea was to start wanting to charge other podcasts to do similar things. <clears throat> and that didn't go over horribly well, not because, you know, he wanted too much money, but because Back then, unlike what John thinks is the case right now, not every listener was also a podcaster. There's a lot <laughs> closer fewer people. now. It is way closer now, but it used to be 10 years ago that people that listened to the show were not themselves podcasters. And so he didn't get a whole lot of interest in the hosting service. Then he come, came up with the idea of like buying some uh, big servers and cranking out Bitcoin, which we all made fun of because, oh, my God, <laughs> you can't make any money doing that. That's ridiculous. Why would you want to spend time and effort on building a $5,000 server and probably spending a hundred bucks a month on electricity just to mine, you know, a couple of bitcoins a day. That seems yeah, stupid. Just a couple of days. Th- those are worth. Yeah. Nothing. Those are worth like a quarter. Like you're going to generate a quarter a day. Congratulations. So that ended up getting shot down and he's kind of running out of ideas. So eventually he said, well, Adam, we love doing this for you. We got to, we got to start charging you. We can't just keep, I can't keep volunteering to do this. And so they, I think his initial offer was like, well, if you can pay half the bill and then, you know, I'll take care of the other half. And I think Adam agreed to that, but he was not a happy camper because this was not, you know, if this, this was sort of imposed on him rather than him going out and finding a good cheap deal himself. Right. Meanwhile, I'd been talking to Mark like on Skype on a pretty regular basis. He was not a happy camper because He'd been promised that at some point he'd make money out of this thing and it's never happened. And he was feeling like, you know, he was a low man on the totem pole. He was doing work, but he wasn't getting invited to meetings about decision making stuff. And uh, that, you know, he like he really liked no agenda and he really like Adam and and he didn't like this idea that Adam might go elsewhere for um, for the hosting service because these guys are clearly not you know able to figure out a deal with him so mark was getting a little worried so i remember i was at adam's house uh way back when and i brought this topic up to him and i said so i know these guys are want to 
charge you money for that. And then I'm kind of give me some more details. And I said, well, I, you know, I, I think if, if you want to be on a more solid infrastructure, I, you know, I'd look at something really good like Amazon or something, uh, for hosting because, uh, nobody else is going to beat that uptime. Um, but if you want to go cheap, then I don't think Mr. Oil's service is necessarily the best deal, but regardless, Mark really likes you and he really likes doing stuff for you as a form of, you know, providing donations in kind. Right. Providing value. And I think, and I think he would be willing to do this for you, even if you switched hosting services. And I was sort of shooting myself in the foot because I'd been on the show with those guys that, you know, would be effectively out of the loop if this happened, if Adam ended up moving services. And, uh, <clears throat> And so Adam started talking to, him, to Mark more and uh, explaining to him that, yeah, he really appreciates what he's been doing and, you know, he wants to continue working with him. And uh, this is right about the time that Mr. Oil started having the medical issues as well. And so it became less available and less accessible. I have no idea what happened to Gitmo Slave. I remember one Christmas I sent him a um, uh, MacBook or not a Mac, uh, a Mac mini for Christmas. Um, I was, I was a very generous dude at that time in my life. I'm no longer generous. So don't even ask <laughs> in case anybody wants to know. Don't <laughs> yeah, even I'm, ask. Not, I'm not sending free Macs to anybody these days. I used to do that quite a bit. Actually. I, I gave a lot of people Macs, but, um, so what ended up happening was essentially Mr. Oil forgot to pay the bill. Oh, this and kind of sounds that, like what happened with the art generator this week. That was a major thing that caused Adam to go, yeah, this ain't going to work. Well, anything so, that you rely on, you almost exactly, have to bring in-house. Exactly. Which is also why I don't think you should rely on volunteer efforts, but whatever. So um, so Adam then worked directly with, um, with Void Zero to get a server up and running in Europe to handle both, well, initially the the show downloads but then also transition all the other services to it and i think there's certainly more details that either void zero or adam could provide in there i'm not sure they want to but that is the story according to me and i was there uh and and i think i was somewhat instrumental in making that that transition happen as well um but i you know i uh i think that it all worked out for the best and it it essentially created an independent hosting service that while it was now costing John and Adam money, which it was costing him nothing before, but it, it was essentially being administered by the same guy that was administering in the previous service. Right. There's good continuity. They had he control. was more than happy to keep doing it. Yeah. And, and so things like, um, like the troll rooms are operating at that. I think void, I think, that was yes. one of the first things that, that Void Zero set up was the IRC because he was a fan of that. Uh, and that was previous to that move. It was still while while um, Mr. Oil and Gitmo Slave were operating that whole thing. And it so is it just, a huge part of the live show. I mean, granted, the people that participate live are still such a small minority oh, a percentage. That. No, like I said, like 250. I mean, that's the last number I saw is right around 250 people. Well, that's in the troll room. Even listening on a good day, you know, there's a little yeah. over 2000 people listening. But 
from what I understand, the downloads are more in the three to five hundred thousand per show. So I think they're over a million at this point with be. all the Joe Rogan listeners. I mean, look, I, I don't have any privy to these numbers. Adam certainly does not share those figures. His well, take not- has always been that it's all bullshit. Like even if he reads a number, his take is it means nothing. I can't tell you the exact number of listeners, so I'm not going to tell you anything because all he wants to know is how many people donated for the show, because that's how in the, the show end, that's what matters. Go. But I think John's actually mentioned this, which is very true is that you can extrapolate the listeners from the non- donators because you do have a pretty good idea of the percentages. And he, he like, he has the, the, he has a list of the people that get the newsletter and versus the people on that list that actually make a donation. You can also extrapolate of the total number of donations, including people that don't get the newsletter, than going back how many listeners, not to mention the fact that, you know, Adam's literally, uh, well, both John and Adam were in Mevio, which was a company that was all about doing the stats for advertising. Well, right, because that's uh, so, how you had to get the money from the advertisers yeah, was to, yeah. to BS them with, hey, this is how many people listen. And I can tell you, exactly. somebody that, Exactly. Often falls asleep listening to a podcast on my phone. Yeah. That there are podcasts that I probably listened to 15 times to get through the whole thing. You know, you go back yeah. to kind of. I thought you were going to say that you only listen to the first 15 minutes because then you fall asleep <laughs> after that. No, but that's what's good. You're yeah. welcome, by the way. I know my voice is very soothing. Yes. If that's the last thing you hear at night before falling asleep, I've been told by a number of people that. <laughs> It you're, is the case. You're, I'm perfectly happy with that. Your voice puts me to sleep. And you're like, there's people I, that I charge that a ASMR lot of money. thing going on. Yeah, there's people that I charge have the a lip lot. smack. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's why you got to get the AMS. And, yeah, you got to get. Well, some people yeah. would edit that out, but well. that takes all the fun. But I mean, we do have a few experts, some people that donated to Grumpy Old Ben's to thank for today because we do work on the value for yeah i was like you know we've been going on for three and a half hours now i was wondering when you're going to get to that segment it's it's like a no agenda show the uh which is the beauty of the whole thing is this is the danger of having people that enjoy talking talking i know it's and we don't have (laughs) clips that is why we're even more clips this is this is yeah we have now talked guaranteed more than john and adam talk on a typical show i know and that should be worth something to those folks out there and that's why the value for value thing comes into effect and we do work on that model. We mean we do the work. If I yeah. can use that. And I, I want to see just how many people can donate to this as a result of this episode in particular, because like I said, right about the time I get to like my 150th episode, when I actually start wanting to have people donate, I want to know what to set my goals for. And so your show is kind of like, this is going to be my mark for what to expect when I get to uh, that number of episodes the it is it's a it's a steadily growing thing which is also a positive sign i mean if they if you start going from a few donations to zero then you need to worry the monthly donations are key and i know that's something that no agenda's always really put out there is you know we're not reading your name for anonymity and that kind of thing because there's too many people but the monthly $3 $5 $10 whatever it is coming in that is a huge part of what a show can make because most people are not the ultra generous sort that our guru, Jay Finley, Walkman of Buckeye, he was the first one that has eclipsed the thousand dollar level here on Grumpy Old Ben. Holy shit. Yes. Wow. That's insane. He became a guru and we're next month we will be celebrating our two year anniversary. So. Well, it's good that somebody's a guru because neither one of you guys are really gurus. (laughs) 
right. We are. There was a, so somebody that left a message on our website the other day calling us out. And it's like, we're just we're podcasters. I mean, do you not realize that we're trying to entertain? Yeah. Yeah. No, I realized that from the first episode I listened to. It was like, this show name is a misnomer. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you guys aren't really like uh, Ben experts here, are you? I mean, just, we know tech. you are grumpy. Yes. You are grumpy. You are old. <laughs> you know, know, you know, Betamax and laser discs. So I guess that counts as tech. And some people, but I'm not hearing a whole lot of how to recompile a kernel on here. Yeah, I'm not a programmer at all. I mean, Ryan is, but I, he doesn't like to do work. So that becomes <laughs> less, less useful if you know how to do it, but you don't do it. But uh, I love that. He's a programmer who doesn't like to do work. Isn't that, isn't that all programmers though? Am I missing? All? Yes. That's why I laughed, dude. That's why I laughed. <laughs> Although the I, opposite that's that. how I started, you know, that's, that was my foray into, uh, into, well, tech and everything else, I guess is, uh, I, I learned to program on a Mac in the mid eighties and as a kid when I was in high school and my, my job after graduating high school and before freshman year of college was for Cray research programming. That was my, I guess it'd be called an internship, right? Because I got paid shit or nothing, but, <laughs> but no, I, I got paid 15 bucks an hour. And I could have, I should have been charging like 40 an hour, but it was, uh, it was basically writing a, an interface on the Mac for a Cray computer. And, um, you know, I, I really didn't realize that I should have been charging more money for that, but I was also, uh, I hadn't even gone to college yet. <laughs> just out right. of high school. But you know, uh, you had the, you had the ability, which a lot of people, I did. I had, I learned to program very early on. I guess technically my first programming experience was on an HP, was it an HP 9000 mini computer or something like that? Uh, it, it, that was amazing to be able to do that. Um, and then after that experience, then, uh, my, my dad bought a Mac plus as soon as it came out. And that was, uh, the start of my, development i yeah, i remember the first month on the mac plus um i found a bug in the rom which was really fun you'd make a lot like, of money huh, on why, that now why isn't this working this should be working it's it's like i keep doing it right then it's not working and then eventually ended up uh escalating this to apple and then uh finding that uh oh yeah there's a bug in the rom sorry so did you have a lisa too no, no. Lisa would have been before that. They were way more expensive. The Mac Plus was like twenty eight hundred bucks all of a sudden done, and the Lisa would have been like six thousand or something. With I mean, a this, really little screen and uh... <clears throat> yeah, you know how much the top of the line current Mac is, right? Oh yeah. Well, the top of the line if it's a Mac Pro, you can mm-hmm. get, get a house yeah. cheaper in some places. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, do you know what it is? Because we actually did the math and uh, somebody else to show this I, recently. I thought if you totally maxed it out, it was like twenty yep. something thousand, right? You're not even close. Is that over 30? 52,000. <laughs> okay. If you max out a Apple Mac Pro over yep. 50 grand, over $50,000. Yeah. Currently. But, but can, Which, it, can it hash Bitcoin? I mean, can you, how much? Can you- uh, yeah. But not as well as, I mean, that is like, you know, I can't remember like 30 cores or something. But it's, uh, if you want to just do Bitcoin, there's much cheaper solutions to be done. But yes. for somebody that is, let's say, a architectural firm, the guy with his name on the firm would have one of those. And the reality Somebody, is a lot of what you're adding is storage and, 
Yeah, know. really fast storage and lots of cores. Yes. That most of the time is not going to get used. I will say that um, when the trash can Mac came out, I hate the round things. one. Yeah. Uh, I bought the um, the $10,000 version of that. Were you happy so with your the, purchase? I am one of the idiots that did that. <laughs> so I was no. happy for, I was very happy for about three months. And then uh, after three months, then you could buy PCs with the same spec. Because whenever Apple releases their high-end machine, there is no way to duplicate that on a PC. They just, you can't get the parts. Apple has the first batch of those. And so, but after three months or so, now the parts start becoming available and you can actually get something, even if you don't build it, even if you just buy it, you get something for half the price. Right. Um, so I was happy for about three, four months with that computer. And it, and it definitely gave me the cachet that I wanted, which is the other thing that you get with Apple products. Yes. You get to show um, it off that you have to have yeah. people over and be like, Hey, look at my trash can machine. You get to show it off because your signature contains that information. And that's always, <laughs> that's always enjoyable. Sent um, from my $52,000 Mac Pro. Yeah. I sold it three months later. No, three, sorry. Three years later. I, I kept it for three years. Although I progressively used it less and less, eventually just moving to a PC that was cheaper and faster. But I, I had it for about three years and then I sold it for about 2,800 bucks, a little shy of three grand. So I lost 70%, which is about what you'd lose on a car after three years. So if you got a fancy car. Could be worse. And if you use it day to day for business, then I get it. Yeah. And I, I was doing a lot of photography. So that was my excuse for having a computer that fast was, oh, I, I needed all the filters. You got I, I either, yeah, I got, you know, I have fast and doing video that you could do 4K video on it, which you could not do on any of the, uh, the lower models for sure. Yes. It was very slow. Yeah. Right. that machine video. you could do. Yeah. You could render video in, in near real time. So like 20 frames a second. Um, and then the PC that I got to replace it was about $3,000 and it could render 4K video at 60 frames a second. That's so, a better deal. Yeah, but you know, I had to, I had to wait a year before I could do that in the PC. But you couldn't uh, show it off because it was just a and Dell the, or the, something. And the PC is kind of ugly. Well, it's got a bunch of lights inside, but I, I used to have one of the fastest PCs in the world, certainly in the US, um, years ago. Uh, and by the way, this is a show that never stops in case you guys are wondering. Uh, we're going to max out <laughs> the recording capacity of, of your hard drive here. Uh, but I, I just have so many fun stories that you all want to hear. Well, the backup recorder still is showing three hours and 51 minutes. So, I mean, oh, that, perfect. That, perfect. The Zoom can keep going. Well, that's that's all that matters then. Yeah. As long uh, as you have so more, more hard drive space. I had a uh, PC that was liquid cooled that I built in early 2000s. So maybe 2004 ish. The the reason for that PC was because I started playing this super awesome addictive game called Battlefield 1942. Uh, and I wanted to have every advantage possible. So what I ended up with, I'll, I'll, I'll do the end first. I'll do the Tarantino it. I ended up with a $8,000 PC sitting on a T1 line so I could play a shooter <laughs> game. That's excessive. But it's, you think? But I was rated three in the world. So I was a pro gamer for a little stint. Um, and by pro gamer, I mean, I spent a lot of money on gaming. Not that I made right. money. On so nobody was sending you money to game. Oh, no, there were people actually, because I was running a server, but, uh, you know, donations, but not like sponsorships back in the day. But I, I was 
by the meters that actually tracked all the stats, I was third in the world in that game. Uh, never could get past that. I mean, the, the two guys ahead of me were way ahead of me, so I, I just could not get there. Um, and they were doing we it, really, and they were both doing it on $67 used computers, yeah, weren't they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure they were. I mean, I had every freaking advantage. I was like, you know, I have five milliseconds to hit my target. That's, that's all the delay it was going to be. I wanted it super fast. But the computer I built, and I had to build it, not even wanted to, but I had to because it was the only way to do it back then, is I had a completely clear acrylic case for it, so everything's see-through. It had a bunch of UV lighting in it, and uh, I had three systems that were liquid-cooled, which was the CPU, the GPU, and the the main um, board chipset for the motherboard, because those were the three hotspots in, uh, in the system. And then I got a uh, industrial uh, liquid refrigeration system, uh, otherwise known <laughs> as a water cooler. Yeah. And, except that this water cooler was running uh, a mix of ethanol and um, UV dye. And uh, it was about 70% water, 30% ethanol, and a little bit of dye in it. And it was doing 300 gallons per minute of water cycling. <laughs> so the water went through the computer so fast that uh the it, it drew all the heat out of the computer. And the refrigeration system chilled the water down to about 10 degrees Fahrenheit. So sub-freezing temperature. So it, was, it wasn't like liquid nitrogen freezing, but it was sub-freezing. And because of the speed of the water exchange and the power I think it was a, a one horsepower pump on the liquid and a two and a half horsepower pump on the refrigerating unit. Refrigeration unit. I should actually enunciate that better. And so the end result was that at uh, while running the game, my PC's uh, chip temperature and the CPU temperature were at about 40 degrees Fahrenheit. So they were slightly above freezing, but barely. A DigiGuru wants to know if you delitted the CPU to cool the die directly. Um, I did not. No, no, no. And this was this was running on a, I believe it was a Pentium Four chip. Uh, I believe that's what it was. And what I did have, um, it well, I so the it was a uh, a gold heat exchanger that I think I paid about eight hundred bucks for. So it was not a cheap unit to get. It was obviously not solid gold, but it had a significant amount of gold on there before the copper. Uh, and um, I did. What's the what's what's the word? I forget to make sure that you like uh, sandpaper the top of the CPU so it's completely flat. There's a word for it. I can't remember. I did that. Lapped it. Lapping, I think, is the word. So anyway, it had a really good seal. But the point is, uh, in like 2005 ish. I think it was around 2005. I had that Pentium 4 running at four and a half gigahertz. And there were very few people that were hitting those speeds without using liquid nitrogen. Uh, With liquid nitrogen, people were getting slightly faster speeds, but that was not consistent. And they sure as hell couldn't play games on those computers. Right. Because unless you're sitting there like refilling the liquid nitrogen as it's evaporating. Yes. Stability uh, is hard. I had a fully stable system running at four and a half gigahertz on a T1 line so I could get my shots done faster. With a one horsepower motor. 
Oh, well, <laughs> one and two and a half horsepower. So there's, there's several horses involved in, in this whole project. And all said and done, it was absolutely uh, the second most expensive computer I'd ever built. Um, but it was, it was a fun project and, uh, I spent way too much time, uh, on that computer and playing that game. And I think it wasn't the first computer that I ever got that was faster than that speed. Now, obviously computers are more powerful because of the number of cores, but for gaming, the number of cores typically matters less than the actual speed of the chip. Right. So it really wasn't until like 2000. 15 that i got from a computer that had a higher horse speed although that was just you know normal off the shelf water cooled with right not going nuts with it not going nuts with it no that was an interesting experiment and i did it a because it was interesting b i had the money to do it and it was something that um i could justify to myself and and my wife at the time because well for i just fight it differently obviously i just fight to myself by I'm going to get better playing games. Then I justified it to my wife at, we're going to start selling these things as soon as I finish figuring out how to make them. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I never I sold think, a single I didn't one. Think the obviously. first idea was going to get past any of the wives. No, I had a fairly understanding wife. She was, uh, she was actually involved in computer stuff. And, um, so she, she understood a little better the, the importance of having high techie stuff. But I'm shaving uh, one one thousandth of a second off the latency. Don't yeah. you understand? Well, and getting right to that border of like stability versus crashing, because you could push it up another like, you know, uh, maybe 0.1 gigahertz beyond that, but it would crash within five minutes. So what good is that? And if, if all you're trying to do is just have it be stable long enough to run the uh, the speed demo once. Right. And then that's all that matters. Yeah, you could push it up further. But I wanted, like, what is the fastest stable speed that I can get? And that was four and a half gigahertz back then. And I think that's pretty damn impressive. Back in the day, it's, it's less of a thing now. That's, I mean, I'm that's sure literally like 15 years ago, 15, 16 years ago, I was running at those speeds. And that's what most people are barely touching these days. Well, nobody cares now. They just buy a phone and nobody even has a laptop. I mean, I know it's well, and that's do, true. And, and actually, I don't own any of the new Macs, but a buddy of mine got one. And he said that, you know, the new M1 chip Macs, which are basically using the, the iPad chip, a souped up version of it, <clears throat> easily two to three times faster than the previous generation of the same computer. Yeah, that's what CSB has been talking about. He got one. That's right. That's right. Well, he's he's been in this episode way too much, dude. Eli, you got to buy Mac. Mac is only way. <laughs> I got USB microphone. And uh, yeah, but but have you invited him to be a guest on on the show at all? Because he refused me. He will he, not be a guest on my podcast. He will not be a guest on my podcast. He said that we could talk via Jitsi as as long as I don't record it. But then I can impersonate him and say what he said afterwards. So I mean, maybe there's a show there. I don't know. Uh, yeah i don't know i don't know why he's being adamant about not being on podcast i think a lot of people would be interested in having him on um although i did recently just uh d uh d follow him oh um, yeah. no agenda social because he deserved it <laughs> he does he does stick to some points that he has that can anger some people and i get it everybody's a little bit different and there's no difference. Yeah, we're all in different parts of the spectrum, man. Yeah. And uh, no agenda social. You can get a whole lot of interesting conversations 
and CSB. But that's almost done. I, the way I hear it, there's only like 200 more spots left and that's it. It's but there's done. so Close. many inactive accounts that they're going to have to start pairing out people. They're not going to do that. I think this is their, th- I think this is their, actually their, their goal is to not have to worry about doing that. It's just a, like, nope, when it's done, it's done. That's it. There's no five, more accounts will be added. Five people left using it. Everybody else bailed. Get your account. Yeah, everybody now. else is on Gitmo Life. Yeah. And then you Dude, can I'm, sell. I'm seeing a lot of activity with my account on any social, but a lot of the activity is coming from the Gitmo.life guys. Well, I hear like that their server their system. So I maybe need to check <laughs> it out because it's not their server that. is. Um, I, I certainly recommend grabbing an account on there. I have an account which just forwards to my other account. But their server is running a very different system, which is compatible, but looks totally different. And is better. And some Japanese word that I will never remember. <laughs> yeah, I will have to or, check that out. Yeah, it, it's it's an interesting. There's a lot of cats. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Japanese cute cats. Right. For some reason. Anime, as part so, of the, yeah, Cold Acid would like that. Just like every, anime yeah, talk. everything. Uh, well, the whole system was, I guess, written by a guy that was into that whole like cute Japanese anime cat girl thing. Yeah. Cold acid says it's called Miski. That's the one it, it is called Miski. And it, and you kind of wonder what does that actually mean? I don't know. Cold so acid I, would know though. He is our expert on you, anime. Is Miski a name of an anime is Miski just mean you miss me. You missed a key. Right. Does it, does it mean, does it mean that it's the, there's a, a character called miss and her name is key. Yeah, if you miss I mean, there's a lot of I have questions that no one's actually answered. And uh, the guy that's running it, Defango, um, from what I could tell, he looked at a few different platforms and said, this is the one that's going to allow me to have the, the greatest number of users utilizing the least amount of server power. Yeah, well, that's the intelligent way to go. Yeah, I think they're about halfway caught up to no agenda, right? They're like at four and a half, five thousand users right around there. Yeah, the Mastodon base is not efficient. Yeah, that's what I've heard. And it's, um, I do like the way the Mastodon just breaks it up into columns. Uh, it's, it's essentially just a knockoff of the interface that Twitter, what was that thing called? There was an app called Twitter something. TweetDeck. TweetDeck. Yeah, that's the one. So that's all it is. Mastodon is just a knockoff of TweetDeck. And I used to use TweetDeck all the time because it was easy to split off your tweets into different categories like right filter you know, bulk, whatever way you yeah, wanted built and then but still see all those streams at the same time and if you had a big monitor you could see a lot and it all works and we all have multiple 4k monitors right so of course we see things i don't have in a big 4k format. monitor but i have multiple monitors i don't need I, I, the resolution i just love uh, teasing defango with that he's like well nobody's going to watch it in 4k i'm like what are you nuts you're like, I, I watch three those monitors sitting here. I, I can't watch things in less than 4K. How, <laughs> how could you possibly do that? You, my yeah. phone has a screen that's 4K. For I've got it sake. on a hundred inch screen. It's big on the wall. You should see it. Well, and that that really shine. I actually do have a I have a uh, 150 inch 4K projector in my bedroom. See, there you go. Uh, is it so I, 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 the ceiling <laughs> or uh, yes, or both? yes, yeah, ceiling? Was, oh be- no. No, not on the ceiling. <laughs> I thought about that. That would actually be a cool idea. It projects on the front of the wall in front of the bed. But the uh, the idea with the ceiling projector, I did have another one that was one of those little tiny Pico projectors. Right. That I used to carry with me when I traveled a lot as a consultant that I would set up in the hotel room pointing straight up. It works. Just and so in the hotel rooms, I would have the uh, projector be on the ceiling 
while I was traveling because the TVs were usually pretty crappy in hotel rooms. And the and usually the ceilings are white. So, uh, oh, the ceilings are white. The only question is, is it a, a dimpled ceiling or oh, yeah. a flat ceiling? Yeah, you and don't want the dimpled. Yeah, or or does it even have an angle to it, which sometimes they do, in, which is weird. I guess they don't really expect people to be doing anything on the ceiling. That's so where the hidden cameras you? are. Yeah, well, th- those are usually in the sprinklers. That's if you look at the sprinklers carefully, that's usually where the the cameras are pointing down over the bedroom area for uh, for reasons of blackmail. Yes, yeah, some good advice at least that's for what, people visiting. But at hotels. least that's what Jeffrey Epstein told me. Yeah, well, yeah, he has. You know, he knows where to put them. Yes, that he does. Well, you know what? We should probably wrap it up. But maybe on the next time we talk, I'll tell you more about Jeffrey Epstein. Okay, that's a that's a deal. But we do have some experts to thank again. Uh, we have two executive producers coming in today. Uh, at thirty three seventy three, Sir Howitzer and Dame Sexy coming in once again, and we appreciate their support. Comment just always an amazing show. I mean, you'll have to tell us if this was as amazing as the last show with sir spencer and boobery or the previous one when ryan was here we have to start getting ratings. Oh, this is way more amazing i can tell you that right oh, now it's the, the conversation is just much more dynamic there's no question about it you're bringing an energy that ryan uh, now that he's highly drugged up is probably going to have even more trouble <laughs> bringing without a few pots of coffee but uh i mean I, I know it's, something it's unfair to make him do work i hear cocaine works well too <laughs> It's the ultimate pick me up. Cocaine. Yeah. Even even if you're kind of drowsy, I mean, Coke will fix it. <laughs> See, if you're a professional podcaster now, Ryan, you understand the the answer is uh, sometimes you have to make sacrifices, Ryan. <laughs> I'll begin, uh, which is also an executive producer for today, Steve E. Our buddy's been around for a long time, found us over on Patreon, the first guy. He sent in a check, and I apologize. He emailed emailed yesterday because uh oddly enough. The bill pay thing that he sent because it came in as a paper check in a mail just got mixed in with some other bills and stuff of mine because it just looked like mm. something else. And so it's been sitting here for like a week and a half or so, it, it seems. And uh, he was like, oh, did you get it? I want to make sure because otherwise, you know, checks and banks and all that kind of thing. But yes, we got it, Steve. And we appreciate your support for the grumpiest podcast in the universe. I mean, reach out. Did you like having Sir Gene on the show? You want to hear the whole Jeffrey Epstein story? I mean, these are questions people will have to chime in with. Uh, we appreciate that. I expect that your donations after this episode are going to be your record hugest donations. You're going to skyrocket. People will be like, we want more, Sir Gene. That's right. Or Boobery or, or Sir Spencer. Is, is anybody? Well, we'll see if anybody mentions Ryan. We did have a uh, an email, too. But Oystein Burge comes in with 2021. No note. And we appreciate that. Sergeant Fred, as I said, sent us 15 bucks again. Sergeant Fred of the 2030 podcast, and he does the snail mail thing with notes. Usually, I've not heard that podcast. Is it any good? It is a good show. Sergeant Fred is uh, really good. He has a couple different podcasts and uh, it does run on the no agenda stream that uh, everybody should be checking out here. I always should bring an extra light. I don't know, man. Every time I turn that stream on, like my path podcast is never on it, but it's always you hear me. It's yeah. It's always you <laughs> like all the time. People have said I'm on more than uh, Adam, but that's not true. It's just, it's uh, about yeah, you equal. are. It's about equal, <laughs> about equal. It's yeah. about equal. Um, <laughs> I mean, we do of course the pre-show. So that adds, but that doesn't get rerun, but grumpy old Ben's and no agenda is about the same amount of time. And they both run. 
But then Adam has podcasting 2.0 and MoFax, where I only have yes. one other show and it's shorter. So it just seems that way because you always want more. Uh, well, it's only stuff. shorter because you don't have guests like me on it. Right. We can we can bloviate <laughs> further and further and, and push the uh, limits of how long a podcast should be. But uh, Sergeant Fred did send a note, Dear Darren and Ryan, but we'll just replace that with Dear Darren and Gene because you're on today. Uh, in the morning, please accept this small donation as we appreciate the value. Grumpy old Ben's delivers on behalf of my co-host, Matt Cox of the 2030 podcast. We thank you for your tech and your um, deconstru- uh, deconstruction every show. I mean, that's we 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 don't really deconstruct as much as just uh, destruct. But I mean, yeah, I, I was going to say, I think you meant destruct, <laughs> not deconstruct. We just destruct the whole show. But uh, and uh well, I'm curious uh, with Bemrose once he's able to speak again in a couple of months. It'd be interesting <laughs> to hear what is interesting to hear about his experience in going through the uh, the tooth work. Yeah, I don't know that. Uh, I mean, I the eye thing. I know a lot of people cringe when I talk about what they had to do to my right eye. Yeah, um, I don't want to hear about that. The, uh, the, the, uh, the 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 tooth I would think would be easier. But it might be well, more the tooth. Painful. Don't they don't they give you much better drugs for the teeth than the oh, eyes, though? I'm sure. I'm yeah, sure they that's, do. That's what I'm talking about. So you get the drugs and that's the that's the whole thing. Sergeant Fred said they also appreciate, of course, Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak for no agenda. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as everybody should. He says that wanted to appreciate Lady Bemrose for her donation to no agenda to make Ryan a count. I mean, I guess she wasn't happy enough with Count Chocula. She wanted to <laughs> count Bemrose too. So now do you, do we have to make him count if you run into him out in the wild? Do you have to see how high he can count? Is there uh, <laughs> is there something like you're a count? Well, I I'm hoping at some point when travel happens more frequently, I can actually get together with Count Bemrose uh because my my parents live out in Seattle. Nice. And and so I fly to that airport with well, I used to fly with some regularity. I haven't been flying a whole lot lately. Um, but um, he he's right there in Seattle, right? He is right outside of Seattle. And I'm sure mm-hmm. he would be happy to be your Uber driver, pick you up at the airport. But <laughs> he'll just complain all the way to wherever you're going. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, if he can hear himself over my talking, that, that's fine. <laughs> well, yeah, that could just be uh, like the concept of two shows overlapping, two podcasts. That would kind of be the same thing. Just uh, two people talking all the time, which we've we've used that formula. Uh, Sergeant Fred said he looks forward to continuing to hear the 2030 podcast on the no agenda stream. And he says airborne airborne all the way. And we appreciate. He also says here, uh, happy birthday to me on March 2nd. So happy birthday. Sergeant oh, yeah. Fred. Happy birthday, dude. Totally. A belated birthday. Yeah. And thank you for your service that. Uh, the, the, the what's guy. so you've heard his podcast uh, just tell me what it's about it is uh no agenda type topics but sane and uh mm-hmm. really uh they, they break things down and then the whole concept is you know with the 2030 aspect like well where is everything going where is this going to wind up ah uh, okay okay i was wondering where the title came from if In it was like uh we say adam's from thing. the future and they're guessing on where the future is is going mm. okay interesting and that is uh does he have guests on usually it's just the two of them 
Hmm. I mean, would you like to? So I mean, who's the other guy? So it's um, his buddy, Matt Cox, who is, who is legally okay. blind. So, I mean, I enjoy okay. hearing what, because that's, um, you know, having two good eyes up until four years ago and then basically losing all the vision in one of those. Um, mm. You know, I've been kind of more interested now in blind te- people. Yeah. And technology that you have mm. that in case there's something does. I mean, I hope it doesn't. It's not like there's an impending thing or anything. Are you going to get a newer link? Uh, well, hey, if they have them. I mean, well, they, they, yeah, they're going to have them. I mean, it's just a question of you want to get one. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, whatever would work, that would be uh, the solution. They are getting better with the, I mean, what I really would need more than anything else is a synthetic retina because that's the issue. The retina has been come so scarred from the different surgeries. You don't don't like Jordy glasses. I mean, if they work, I wouldn't really care. I mean, I don't wouldn't mind that. Technology. I mean, the visor. Sorry, I'm sure the Star Trek people are hating on me for calling yeah. them glasses. Yeah, I just that's a visor, man. You don't know shit about Star Trek. Uh, and then you saw like what the limited amount that he could even see that. I think by the time we get to those types of devices, you're going to be seeing ultra 4K better than a person with normalized. Well, season. Maybe maybe to make you feel better, I will say humans have really shitty eyes compared yeah, to do. most animals. I mean, we really don't rely on our eyes much for anything other than stereo. We, we use them to compute distances. That's really about it. Um, and so having one eye completely just makes eyes worthless altogether. But, um, yeah, I'm just trying to make you feel better. But, but I, mean, uh, here's, I mean, here's the thing. The <laughs> weird thing with me is I think because I've always been very nearsighted. I've never really uh-huh. had good depth perception. That was the one uh-huh. thing after losing the vision in the one eye. It was like. Well, you know, but you might have problems, you know, grabbing for a cup or something like that. It's like, mm-hmm. I didn't notice anything. I didn't notice a difference. So I think my depth perception's always been so bad that for yeah, whatever reason. It, it could be. I mean, you obviously get used to certain things, but it, it where it really ought to make a difference is if you're trying to determine is something like immediately in front of your car or is it like 25 feet away in front of your car? Right. Is it big like a pedestrian. far away or is it, is it a pedestrian walking in front of you and far away in the parking lot or really right in front of your car in the parking lot? Yeah. It's things will, like that. I will but say if we look at that. Yeah, I go ahead. That driving uh, locally. I don't have a problem, but I would okay. never jump on an expressway in like three, four five lanes and attempt yeah. to, to do that again. Hmm. Yeah, I could see that. You know, that is where you need to know everything that's around you. Just driving locally, you know, to two or four lane roads, not a big deal. And uh, you just have to be, I think, more aware of what's going on. And but the technology, hopefully, will get there at some point. And uh, until it does, we just, you know, all you can do is you make the best of it. And uh, you kind of just learn the, the new normal, if you will becomes well everything's usually a little out of focus or it takes a minute for the floaters to clear and all yeah. of that kind of stuff so i mean this is why we need people to donate to the grumpy old beds because yeah i mean that. you need to get new jordy uh visor so we need, we need the jordy visor so thank you sergeant fred coming in with a check for 1111 is ultra dave who sent in a note and ultra dave i will we'll point out to you and everybody i doubt this will be a problem because we have the the P.O. box on there, but uh, he sent it the check to Grumpy Old Ben's, which we don't have an LLC or anything quite set up. So it just make out Whoops. those checks to me personally. Uh, I think the bank will be fine with this, but you know, or you can make them out to cash. That works. Yeah, that's true. Just make them out to anybody but Ryan Bemrose at uh, 
P.O. Box 358. Or you've got other sources of donations besides checks, right? You got PayPal, I assume. Hell, we have checks. We have Bitcoin or Ethereum, if you want to do that. We have PayPal and all that. Uh, So we we go down the whole line. We only take the Bitcoin in in, uh, one Bitcoin increments, I assume. See, yes. I mean, that would only make Mm -hmm. it easier if you do a whole Bitcoin. I mean, this partial stuff just seems like that's a waste. There's too many fees involved with translating the partial stuff. So you really, if it's, if it's not a full Bitcoin, is it really worth it though? No, it's not. And that Mm -hmm. is why we need Dvorak on too, because CSB has his 0033 Bitcoin donation. He's promising. And when he promised Mm. that for JCD, that was worth about 35, 45 bucks. Now it's Mm -hmm. like 200 bucks. So, I mean, wow. That's significant. He claims that he's going to do that. So we'll see. But uh, Ultra Dave sent in a little note said, hello, Grumpy. You might have to write a check out to JCD for the cash equivalent. Right. We we have to to cut him in. I can cut Uh him in on the and be like, hey, we'll get you a nice bottle of wine and uh, we'll get that. out." Yeah. Yeah. That could work. That could totally work. I think he'd probably take. Uh, a nice bottle of wine over cash anyway. I wonder if they could re uh, redirect. I've got a few bottles of uh, Tom Seaver's wine coming in from his winery that what if he could just uh, redirect one over to JCD mm. instead of sending them here. Uh, I mean, it's a good wine. They're like 150 bucks a bottle. So that should get that should get yeah. at least an hour of time. Uh, I doubt it. That's about 30 that, minutes for JCD. That's probably 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Depends how long it takes him to drink the bottle. While he's doing the podcast. Well, if that's the, yeah, that probably will be about 15 minutes. And yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it, it's, um, I think wine, it always works good. I, I just, um, I just recently gave a bottle to, and I'm now forgetting his name. He's the, the armor of no agenda, or the no agenda armor, sir, 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 somebody. Yeah, he's going to, if he listens to this, he's going to hate me. There's a lot of sirs. Well, well you consider. Well, he's an armorer. He's, he's the only armorer of no agenda. Uh, and I will tell you his name shortly here. But anyway, my point is, he had, he had set up the, uh, the little network for our uh, Sir Scott. Yeah, sorry, Scott. That's your name. Uh, he had set up the group on telegram for texas no agenda he's the one that runs all the meetups for um uh local austin 512 and so aside from running these meetups for years now he's he set up a group on telegram when the texas power or when the power went out in texas and so we were all using our phones <clears throat> to communicate to each other and you know no agenda listeners producers were able to connect with other no agenda producers in texas and if somebody needed water somebody needed a shower to you know because their water is not working right uh somebody needed the place to crash because their power is off so he's the one that kind of coordinated all that and i figured it would be nice to give him a a nice bottle of wine for that so i gave him a a bottle that i got from the george bush library about uh, six years ago seven years ago very so nice george bush wine yeah yeah and I, I i thought this is this would be an appropriate type gift for him bush wasn't really the anywhere near the best president we had but uh um but he wasn't the worst either no he was a funny guy i met him briefly at a book signing 
And uh, I, I told him we we thought because this was taller the, than you thought he was when they well, he was sitting down. But uh, oh, okay. I mean, right. I, and I'm six six. So he's the, he's the opposite of Marchenko. You think? Yeah, yeah, a little taller than you might think. Uh, I, I just asked him uh, if he'd consider because this was at the time that uh, they were getting rid of Bud Selig, and you know, of course, we mm-hmm. used to run into Mr. Bush, President Bush, before he was president, down in spring training because he owned the Texas Rangers, and then nobody cared about getting his autograph. But I said, you know, hey, you'd be the uh, perfect person to be the commissioner of baseball. And he just looked at me and he laughed. He's like, now, why would I want to deal with that headache? <laughs> I'm like, that's probably true. Good but, point. but I think he could totally re-energize that, though. It probably. And somebody yeah. needs to because baseball is in in dire straits at this. All point. sports are all sports are. I mean, there's right now. I think they're on life support across the board. They need um, to get people interested again. And that isn't happening. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, other than my favorite luge um, and uh, curling. Curling and luge are my two main. Are you, yeah, well, you did grow up in Minneapolis, the area, right? I did. So I'm a northerner. Yes, yes. I'm. I I've been near the Canadian border for a good chunk of my youth. Because otherwise, and, you'd be like, well, you're just making jokes. But now I think you actually like no, luge I, and, and curling. I do. I think they're really neat. Um, and I played hockey when I was a kid, like everybody else. Our high school was the hockey champs of the region. I mean, it was is very typical growing up in the north kind of scenario i mean you but played hockey I, and you never had any dentist have to drill into your mouth so i stopped playing hockey because my uh my mom put an end to it because i i came home with a broken nose um i do have a chipped tooth though from hockey i i do have that it happens but that's i mean that's like you don't even mention that that's just like a normal right. thing yeah that's absolutely nothing i mean there are guys that go get stitches and then come back out and play the rest of the game. I mean, that's that's uh, right. That's what a hockey player is. But uh, from Ultra Dave, he said, I've set up a monthly donation to your very fine audio product. Maybe maybe he's listening to a different show. It's, it's possible. Yeah. Are you sure he's trying to reach you? <laughs> it might be somebody hmm. might be the wrong show, although he says I mostly listen while in the hell commute. That is the Seattle multiverse. And I'm not really listening because I have to dodge douchebags on the road to potentially stay alive. It is still mostly appreciated, I think. Oh, he's not kidding about that. I mean, these days, I think it's a little bit better. But like I said, my parents are in Seattle. So I've spent a lot of time in rental cars in Seattle. And every time I go, two things hit me. One, how beautiful nature is out there. Especially if you go in the fall when the leaves are turning, it's gorgeous. Two, how horrible the drivers everywhere are in Seattle. Like there's not a region of Seattle. The whole damn city, they drive like shit. That's where Ryan and, would and be. by shit, I mean they drive slow. <laughs> it's like these are people that you have drivers in all three lanes on a three lane highway that are doing sixty two miles an hour in a row in the sixty in a, in a, in a sixty road zone. Yeah, yeah, it's essentially a roadblock. It's it's nuts. It's also the the state really more than the city where you will get a speeding ticket for two miles over the limit. Like I've never ever seen this anywhere else. And coming from a state like Texas, where posted speed limits on some of our highways are 90 miles an hour posted, um, and, and most highways are 70 or 80, it's, um, it's really strange when you get to a place where people drive at the speed limit at 60. Well, welcome to Chicago, where they just added cameras that they will be sending out tickets if you go six miles over. Is that what they're saying? Six miles over? Yep. So yeah. 
They need the I, money. I honestly, I just don't know why anybody would live up there. No offense, but it's just like, this I'm is taking, crazy. Yeah. It's like living in, uh, you know, in San Francisco. I don't know why anybody would live in San Francisco unless you have a private helicopter. That would see that like, would help. This, this is nuts. You wouldn't have to drive yeah. around. And uh, as Ultra Dave then points out, don't use my real name as I will be crucified by my woke employer. So this is the world we live in. You yeah. Can't, you can't mention your name. Well, what's the actual message that he's got other than that pointing him out? Well, just that. Uh, th- thanks for your bloviate to keep on being grumpy. Thanks for the audio podcast. And then he did oh, include right. uh, P.S. Uh, well, just I mean, I think having your name attached to a donation to a dangerous show like this is enough. Oh, my God. So it's not even anything he's talking about. He's not even talking about his employer. Right. He's just saying. I don't want people finding out that I listen to a show that isn't even political. Yes. Well, we are a little, but uh, yes. Not today. <laughs> no. He We're says, just talking about BDSM and well, that's different. Dallas. Yeah, it's a different type of uh, political. You know, the, the term Dallas Buyers Club has a whole different meaning. <laughs> are you buying? Are you selling? Get in. Uh, he mm-hmm. says, P.S. Ryan, because he included this to the email to Ryan. I included you just to annoy you with another effing useless email. And he has effing. So I thought that was funny because he censored it, which would also be something wow. Ryan would hate. And then the line that uh, that got him noticed on my end was, I know Darren is the brain slash money of the podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and then rant on oh, my man. slightly dim brother. So why would you send in money just to take shots? At Ryan Bemrose. That's not yeah. nice. Ultra well, Dave. I'll, I'll tell you what. I'm going to put out a challenge here to uh, Mr. Bemrose to be a guest on my podcast before John is a guest on your podcast. Well, that wouldn't be hard. <laughs> That's, you've got plenty of time uh, to kill, <laughs> I think. And uh-huh. uh, and then Ryan. Could well, see, but now now I have an actual incentive to try and get John on your show. True. Yeah. yeah. Ryan would be, I think Sir Seat Sitter has been trying to get Ryan over onto abs in a six pack to list mm-hmm. his top 10 favorite porn stars or something. And he, he doesn't, mm. he thinks that's why Ryan doesn't want to go on. So we'll see the, uh, yeah. So that's yeah, another just, podcast that I've seen, but not heard. So, uh, and, uh, and according to Ryan in the troll room in, in response to your challenge, he said, so I need to be a guest on Sir Gene's podcast sometime in the next decade check so that's he's assuming it's <laughs> going to take a while for dvorak to yes. make his appearance but i i'm hoping john i think he's been checking the show out i don't know if he still is i mean if this show if he's still listening now after this length of time then he really must like what he's hearing so you, come on john we welcome john's you. not listening to this show i guarantee you that he after uh, he heard, after he heard you <clears throat> shut it off yeah yeah exactly he's listening no he uh, if you want john to listen to a show what you need to do is record a cassette tape and then <laughs> tape it to a bottle of wine that you ship to john with a cassette deck that you can, it, can play no it no john's got that i kind of figure he's got two or three of them that still work and uh and then he'll be able to listen to your show while he's enjoying the wine but i think if you're if your expectations are any higher than that um, you, you might be asking for too much. Well, he has listened to a few shows because he's commented on things said here. Well, no, I'm, I'm sure he has listened to it. And then in, totally in the format right of his. Out. Well, no, when his kid has downloaded it for him and recorded it onto a cassette oh, tape. Oh, oh. I'm not saying John is like, uh, you know, doesn't believe in technology. Just sounds mice. that way. You're saying he's just a not mouses. Right. That it's, mouse concept is dead. No one's ever going to use it. Well, people do use trackballs now. So, I mean, he was I do really like his wrong. latest comment to that, to that um, annoyance. And it's been an annoyance for him ever since he said it. 
is he said, yeah, well, you know, by the time I'm dead, uh, people won't be using mice anymore anyway. He's so right. The and he is kind of right because yeah. fingers are replacing mice. Yeah. Because uh, more and more people are using phones and iPads and fewer people actually use laptops. Well, that even whole people thing now, is going away. I noticed one of the few people, although I'm sure there are more, another guy that we just added a show that you've talked to on No Agenda Social, Bandrew Scott. He is the microphone dude. And on his yeah. podcast, you can tell there's a camera angle that when he's on, it looks like a desktop machine, but he's mm-hmm. got a separate trackpad. So it's like yeah. there's, that's changing everything too. So, well, I've always had a trackpad on my on my desktop Max, but for gaming, I have a gaming mouse because you can't game with a trackpad. Oh, you got to get that. You got every little pixel. You got to control how that. I have moving. the Swift Point Seven Hundred gaming mouse, which is the best gaming mouse manufactured, allegedly. Two hundred and eighty-five dollars. Uh, this mouse will uh, beat the pants off everybody. What if, not, uh, it is, what if they're not wearing pants to begin with, though, Gene? Well, then it'll beat other things that we can't talk about on this <laughs> podcast. <sighs> this is an incredible mouse that I'm not sponsored by, but they did ship me a free one. So thanks, guys. But um, the Swift Point 700 is a, a bar none. Every possible thing you can do with it is controllable. It's a touch sensitive mouse that the pressure that you put on the buttons can get translated into actions. It also has a gyroscope, so if you pick the mouse up and move your your hand left and right, or roll, I should say, either roll or pitch, right, uh, that will translate it as uh, joystick controls. It's like and magic. all that stuff is fully integrated into the mouse. Um, it's if anybody is a pro gamer like I am, uh, there's no other mouse that you could possibly be using other than this. Swift Point Seven Hundred, best mouse in the world, not sponsored. And if anybody wants to argue, you can find Gene. At podcast.surgenesays.com or just surgene.com. Just surgene. It's not even just. It's, it's podcast.surgene.com. I knew it was something don't, like Don't that. be adding extra words <laughs> to confuse people on purpose. People are going out and they're getting those domains right now. So oh, they are. They're like surgenejustspeaks.com. <laughs> I like that. That's a good. That would be a, a good part of the podcast. Just I got surgene.com on the dare from adam and didn't use it for about five years well at least you still have it i still i've been paying for it so yeah i still have it and then finally with the podcast with this latest version of the podcast i'm doing where it's actually just me uh then i thought well this is appropriate i'll just use it for that it makes sense i, I mean i got random thoughts r-a-n-d-u-m-b thoughts.com for my wife to that's do a blog like 15 years ago which never yeah. happened and of course yeah. with domains you're like i'll oh, just it's all 10 bucks whatever i'll pay uh, I'll give you one more domain I had here, which I don't have anymore, but a good friend of mine, the the guy that designed the wallet, and I'll talk about the wallet next time if if you don't know what I'm talking about, but uh, it's the best wallet in the world. Um, not sponsored. Uh, discount code Gene, G-E-N-E. Go to decadentminimalist.com. Anyway, so this, this guy and I have been uh, buddies for a long time, and we've always talked about, wouldn't it be cool if blah, blah, blah was made? So it's kind of like predictive futurism stuff. And eventually I, I got the domain and set up a website for shit we thought of, but didn't make dot com, <laughs> which was a list of a whole bunch of our ideas that we watched other people actually make and make a and, lot of and money be successful with. Yeah. 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 And be successful with, because what we're good at is we're, we're typically the guys that are on that 
bleeding edge of buying tech widgets and gizmos and then extrapolating what we're doing with that stuff that's cutting edge with, well, you know, here's what's missing. Here's the next thing that if this come out, it'd be even better. You know, we're the guys that have Wi-Fi thermometers for our barbecue meats, you know, things like that. Yeah, those are essential now. Yeah, but we had them seven years ago. So it's it's he also built a um, a smoker that was controlled by a uh, Arduino uh, to be able to control the temperature and program the exact smoking. Right. You got to close the vents. Crap. Yeah. 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 Um, So it's like that's another website that I got. We used for about three months by laughing at all the stuff that we came up with that never actually that somebody else made. And then, of course, we got too lazy to keep updating the website. And eventually <laughs> Hence just let the it go. problem in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Good yeah, ideas. That's always the problem. No follow through. The, the ideas, as somebody famous said this, and I can't remember who it was, but the idea is 1% of success. See, Ryan the is night- complaining he doesn't understand the concept of a Wi-Fi thermometer. When it's in your grill and you're inside the house. That's yeah. How do you not understand that? It allows you to use your iPhone to be able to look at the temperature inside as well as outside of the meat you're you're making. It's a genius. It measures two temperatures. Yeah, it's it's showing the internal meat temperature and the ambient air temperature around the meat. You got to make sure your smoker is at the right temperature. Well, smoker or even grill. I mean, it doesn't even matter which one. The point is, you may. I like the meats that that are grilled on the outside and raw on the inside. So a perfect steak for me is a steak that has still breathing, super light crust on the outside and is refrigerator cold on the inside. So basically a cow that's been hit by a flamethrower. Yeah. And I can even supply the flamethrower. <laughs> well, see that now that sounds like a party. That but sounds like a podcast. Is what that sounds like. Yes, it does. And the, the coming in also today, Rayford Bacon the Third with $10 check format. We love that. Thank you, Rayford. And D.E. Metis of the Fun Fact Friday Show, another show you should be checking out. It's the most wholesome show on the No Agenda stream, Gene. He comes in with $5 again with a check. Very nice. So Very nice. He does a podcast. I keep talking as though you've finished this donation <laughs> just, segment just and you keep goes. adding more and more donations. <laughs> Metis and his daughter, Leela, they do Fun Fact Friday. And it is, Adam talked about it on the one show because they donated. And I just thought it was Bemrose was on vacation and I'm like, oh, wait, there are no agenda listeners. It's a guy and his daughter doing a podcast where, of course, they're not dropping the F-bomb every other word. And it's like, this just seems like a fun little show. And it is. And mm-hmm. People like it. And it's uh, it's a lot. It's fun. And they recorded on Wednesday night, which is very confusing for a show called Fun Fact Friday. Mm. But they have video and he's been doing his own video streaming because he got tired. Oh, YouTube nice. Actually, uh, deplatform them. For just having something mentioned about, you know, something, things you can do during COVID or something. It wasn't even related uh-huh. to any questioning the vaccine, but daring to mention COVID in the wrong format. Well, you know, YouTube, they don't yeah. like that. So, but we thank well, everybody no, they don't. for supporting. Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, and that's, you know, I don't, I don't believe in dropping the F-bomb a whole lot. I think you dilute the meaning way too much. And if you're going to use it, which certainly I do at times. You need to make sure that you use it only when it matters and that creates the right impact. Right. You want the oomph. Yeah. And, and this is this is a problem that I've seen with too many people that just get very comfortable with using swear words. I have nothing against swear words and I totally use them, but I use them 
at a maybe five or less percent of my speech level because for the most part they're unnecessary if you pull Um, them out of the bag people know you're serious exactly and i know uh, that that's something that adam and john i think also strive for is to to only use them when their emotions get really high and then sort of like you forget about the fact that you're trying to minimize their use go fuck Um, yourself (laughs) exactly just like that and and so I mean, clearly, if John were on this show, he'd be able to give you one of those. Yeah, he could. He could let anything he wanted yeah. fly. Yeah, and he wouldn't have to worry about you know the show getting derated or anything because it's not his own show or anybody listening for that. <laughs> it's a much smaller. Anybody audience. listening getting derated? Right. I mean, he could. Uh, I mean, he might be able to clip himself then going back down to Noah Jenny. He, he could. He could. Although he'd probably add some background noises that are totally inappropriate to that as well. Well, that's how you do it. That's what professionals do when making clips, Gene. They they add background noises at yeah. inappropriate moments. Some yes. mu- maybe some music or some doing or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Some doings from the free sound effects library.com. <laughs> well, yeah, why would you pay for anything like that? No, you wouldn't, of course. Why would you license anything that has to do with audio? And yet, well, right. That would just be crazy. <laughs> just, it would be like trying to build a podcasting little box that people could use and then selling it. Well, it, it would be, except uh, clearly that there's not enough people that do podcasting to buy a little box. Yeah, see, that was it. I mean, the other ones, they are still throwing those, even though it is labeled as podcasting gear. They do have musical uses as well. And I can understand that it's basically a uh, multi-track well, didn't, recorder. Didn't somebody get one of these uh, road boxes recently, Phone Boy? I think he got one, right? You think he, yes. I think he did say he had one. Yeah. So, uh, I think I listened to one of his episodes before he got the box. And you're like, it sounds like crap now. <laughs> you ruined the that? audio. Oh, did do I sound like crap? What? No, I was that was with phone boy after he got oh, the road. Oh, I mean, you box. are clicking a little bit again, so I don't know what am, happened. To I'm your, clicking. Uh, I can yeah. hear you clicking as well. You're I'm telling you, there's some kind of weird mismatch bullshit going on here that my computer just isn't like and I, i've got everything on 48 kilohertz but it sounds like it's trying to do 44 yeah your computer hates you but that's okay i mean i think we have mm. come to the end of this episode since it's I think, oh good so you're done with the segment i think it may be yes the uh, i think it may be so the, the longest, longest grumpy old bad version of the man you must be raking it in because this is the longest donation segment of any show i've ever been on you all you've never been on no agenda and uh exactly just, they don't take guests i don't know why you should be on adam talks about you quite a bit so uh. You should get you on. Yeah, I've noticed that. Like he'll, he'll he'll mention something that I'm surprised by that he mentions. Like oh, he's paying attention. Really? Well, because I have, you know, I have a, a lot of opinions, and and Adam is one of the people that I distribute my opinions to on occasion. <laughs> and so he, it's always whether interesting he wants to see. them or not, right? Oh no, I, he never wants them, but he gets them nonetheless. <laughs> and um, it's always interesting to see that when all of a sudden phrases that i've used verbatim show up on on no agenda and because i'm the one saying them quite often they're unattributed but i nonetheless hear the fact that yeah that's literally word for word what i just told you three days ago and so um you know it's kind of neat being able to hear that and let's be honest the whole no agenda concept is basically crowdsourcing Yes. So you get information from your audience who are also producers 
And then you throw it in together, combined with some clips, and you spit out a product. And the guys are and the, the product is is very good. Yeah, they're the filter that that tie it all together, and then yeah. regurgitate it back in an entertaining way. Which I mean, it sounds easy because anybody thinks they could sit down and just talk. And while that may be true, uh, it's not as easy as it seems to have a product that comes out the other end that people want to listen to. Well, that's the key thing. Anybody can sit down and talk. And and frankly, talking with another person like you and I have been for the last 15, 20 minutes here is it, really the easiest type of podcast to make because it's it's just a conversation that you hit the record button on. There's not much there. I think the hardest type of podcast to make is a monologue. Oh, um, yeah. Because at because least live, because otherwise, if you know, I've thought about that because I, I know well, the way that's like Jen Briney did it or does it on her show. Is that she records small 15, 20 minute segments. Oh, that's that, not a monologue, dude. But, but it is when you put it together, you know, it's a. That's a faux monologue. <laughs> F-A-U-X. Yes, it is. But we still have 82 people in the on the stream. I was going to say. No, that's room. crazy. People, what do you do? You have no lives. What are you doing? Come on. <laughs> There's always something good here on the No oh Agenda stream when we do these shows live on Monday and Friday at noon Eastern time. The conversations can go into just about anything. Now, why haven't you go gone long. to three days a week? I'm always curious about that. To, for what? Three days a week. Grumpy old Ben's. Yeah. I don't know. Just because I have another show. I do the third day and uh, <laughs> there's only so much and uh, so much Bemrose you can take. You know, I would just because I like to talk about different things. I mean, mm-hmm. the perfect thing to me would probably be to have three to five different podcasts and just do one each day. And then that would be like a full work week, but it would be totally revolving around different things you know if you were actually getting paid to do podcasts like enough to live on you you probably would want to do five podcasts in one day and then then have six days off (laughs) that's not a bad idea because doing it that way gives you six days off yes and you know the guy that was the first guy to make a million bucks off podcasting uh john lee no definitely definitely not uh john lee something John Lee, what's his name? I don't John know. Lee. Well, if you put in John Lee into Google and podcasting, it'll come up with it. But he he did it as a project to see how fast he can be making a million bucks a year off podcasting. And that's what he essentially did. He just started scheduling like four or five or maybe even six podcast recordings per day. And I think initially for like three days a week, and then I think he went to five days a week um, and doing it that way, he was able to generate so much content and they were all maybe not all, but I think the vast majority were guest related podcasts. So there's a new person who asked the same old questions for. So you could effectively as the host, you could almost phone it in. Well, yeah, if you're interviewing people, it looks like maybe John Lee Dumas. That's the guy. John Lee Dumas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, interviews was, would be easy if you're doing our interviews yeah. and you could do six a day and that would be your actually five a day is enough. But the, yeah, it might have even been four a day, but whatever it was, it was just multiple podcasts, recordings per day and just coming up with a bunch of content all at the same time. And um, uh, yeah, he's, he's generating over one and a half million listeners per month. I don't know how you generate listeners. You got to have a lot of sex for that. Well, I was going to say either that or just <laughs> buying them from India to put, turn on the machine <clears throat> to have your but fake. Did, uh, yeah, but that's not even generating. But but he did actually make a shit ton of money as well. Um, uh, 
But the point is that he treated it like a business and everybody I know, including me, treated it like a hobby. Now, Adam treats it like a business, but certainly I can tell you that uh, Daily Source Code was not a business. And even when they switched, when Adam stopped doing Daily Source Code and just was focusing on No Agenda for that first year, this was not a business. They they both had salaries. They were both making money uh, from Mevio. And they were doing this podcast as a way to talk about their lives and food, wine, annoying things that they could bitch about. Uh, Adam talking about uh, his airplane. I mean, these were all areas where I think Adam even mentions that the, the show that, that really pivoted them in the politics direction was when the, the European Constitution, otherwise known as the uh it's on the tip of my tongue the um well when the eu was formed yeah well it i mean there's various stages in that but it, it was the the equivalent of the eu constitution when that thing came out and adam read the whole thing and the lisbon treaty that's what it was it was the lisbon treaty and i remember listening to that episode and i being somewhat shocked that he actually read the entire document because nobody ever does that for political documents there's, and there's a good then he, for that. he found a lot of things to complain about. And since he was living in Europe, it made sense that this would be an interest of his. I think he was still living in the UK at the time and flying back and forth. And so uh, that was the pivot, the moment where the podcast started going in the direction of political analysis and media and less so into personal lives. To the dismay of some listeners, I went. I would add. Um, well, yeah, because there's a change. Some people aren't going to like it. Well, and a lot of listeners, especially that came from Daily Source Code, enjoyed the fact that it was basically the Adam Curry talking about spending money podcast. <laughs> I just bought a new Jag. It's got a V12 engine. Oh, listen to this. I'm going to rev the engine for you guys. Listen to this. Room, room, room. You know, it was that kind of thing. And um, now all of a sudden he's trying to teach you things. Well, he's, he's bringing up questions. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. What? What? You're not just having fun. And he'd always talk about, you know, flying on, on the, uh, the, uh, I think he was flying BA and the upstairs and in, in the first class and stuff. And like all these little things that people just kind of lived vicariously through Anamon. And eventually, um, when the talk went to media analysis, that, was gone like he doesn't really talk about his life even now well he does little bits here and there but for the most part for the last probably six or seven years uh there's been very very little personal stuff and most of it has been politics related certainly since uh yeah probably longer than that probably more like nine years (laughs) it's been that way because how long they've been running 11 years Uh, 13 yeah 13 years jesus yeah so this, this, I think, happened at the end of the first year or the beginning of the second year. So for 12 years, they've been focusing on politics rather than and personal the show has stuff. flourished. Yeah, yeah, it, it absolutely went from being a hobby to being a business. It's all about growing the audience. And once you grow the audience, you get people engaged and you have people that want to support the show. It is very much a business because it is work. Yes. It's, and especially with the number of shows Adam's doing right now, which is like four if we three. Yeah. yeah. Is it three or four? Four. Cause it's no. got, he's got MoFax. One, well, that's not, 
they're they've yeah he's got weeks, so but. he's got four of his own shows and then i think he's also producing a couple others besides that he's always spinning those plates whatever yeah. works yeah because he he's was giving me shit about the fact that i text with his wife more than i do with him <laughs> i said well that's because your wife actually replies to text messages and you don't well see just get her on your show and that way you can get the real story now you're now you're cooking that might be the the, the next thing for me to focus on getting a guest get her on i think she'd be up for it she's really fun i i've always liked her she's uh i think i met her at exactly the same day that adam met her Nice. Well, she's a Chicago girl, so I mean, she's got to be cool. She is, yeah. So you know, and she was smart enough to leave, so she's got that going for her. <laughs> one day, one day we'll get out of this hell that is Illinois, uh-huh. run by the Pritzker family. But oh uh, man, I, I there, there's certain things I've always liked about Chicago, but living there is not one of them. No, I mean the weather sucks, but the food's good. Yeah, and that's that maybe about it. I used to go to the uh, the Voodoo Lounge in Chicago. Yeah. And then there's another one that was like Spearmint something, not Rhino, not the strip club. There's a Spearmint something else uh, club. Um, back in the day, I used to do a lot of swing dancing. And Chicago had a pretty good swing scene. Yes, the actual dancing, not the. Not the swing er <laughs> scene, the swing Big bad scene. voodoo daddy and the bands of the. Yeah, I saw all of those bands. So I, I was a pho- like when I was doing photography, I shot all the swing bands like every single one of them i have huge amounts of photos of it's uh i used to be a regular at princess club um in minneapolis uh at um see i'm getting old so i'm starting to blank out on the names of all this stuff was that Uh, paisley park no no i actually lived next to paisley park and i actually i'm at prince in the grocery store that's how close i was to prince well i mean he's got his Hey, we both went grocery shopping at midnight. That's one. <laughs> that's the best time to go grocery for shopping. For various different reasons, I'm guessing. Uh, probably for the same reason as my guess. And <laughs> so. Because you didn't want your millions of fans bothering you? No, it's because, uh, you know, we both decided we were hungry in the middle of the night. Oh, that'll do it. And so, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I lived close to Paisley, and, but no, his club was, God, it's just like, again, on the tip of my fucking tongue and I can't remember it. But I, I used to be there at least five days a week, five nights a week. And I, I was always like the guy that the bouncers let through when there's a whole line outside and I go ahead to the velvet robes. Um, I, I shot every band that played there, uh, photographed them, didn't hunt them. <laughs> right. Chicago. That's a different thing here when you say you, you yeah, shot somebody uh, in uh, Chicago. It is. It is a little bit, but. I, I also um, I shot quite a few of the bands out in the Chicago area as well, but uh, but yeah, I used to have a, a website. Oh, you're gonna love the name um, back in the day, and the website was iSwing.com. <laughs> I bet you got a lot of people checking that out for the. Different you know, it was reason. really it was a play on words, obviously for a particular purpose, but it was the website was a uh, a listing of swing events in uh, L.A. Chicago, Minneapolis, and uh, New York. So we covered four cities and all the various old timey swing music stuff that was going on. But and I still I still love that music. I mean, it's like some of my favorite stuff: Squirrel Nut Zippers, uh, like the Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Um, there, there was a lot of a lot of bands that popped up and then 
you know, they used to do other styles of music. They switched to doing swing when the dance craze was hot in the late nineties. And then Pop and Daddies, kind of, that was another one. Cherry, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they were. And then, uh, yeah, so I, I've done, uh, like, I've, I've gone dancing to swing in probably a half dozen cities around the U.S. Uh, it was a, it was a fun time, that's for sure. I, I think the movie Swingers really pushed that kind of phenomenon over the edge, and it became much bigger than the little underground kind of thing that it was initially. Yeah. And the vehicle that pushed Vince Vaughn and uh, John Favreau. John Favreau. Yeah. Yeah. John Favreau wrote that movie. Uh, That was a, and they were great in that because they, I think, well, I don't know how old you are, but I'm pretty much their age. And so for, yeah. yeah. So for that, when, when that movie came out, like it, it was the LA version in a lot of ways of what we were doing with my friends in Minneapolis. And the, the certainly the parties up on the Hills in LA looked a lot more fun. Um, and we weren't all starving actors trying to get gigs, but in a lot of ways we were doing the, you know, gaggle of guys that are all dressed in the 1930s style gear heading to different clubs and it's like, ah, this place dead anyway. Let's go somewhere else. <laughs> you know, and it, it's, that's a quote from the movie. If, right. If you guys haven't just, seen it, just like uh, you do in the, uh, you know, baby's all grown up or our little boys. Oh, all yeah, grown yeah. Up and, uh, um, melodious exactly. owls of the troll room points out that the budget was only $250,000 for that movie, which yeah. is nothing. <laughs> it was literally nothing. And they, they actually got, they, they shot in a real Vegas casino, which was amazing Yeah, for a no budget movie like that. It worked. Uh, it worked. The story was good. It also brought in somebody that didn't quite become a big star, even though I, I really think she should have. Um, Heather, uh, what was her last name? Uh, Heather Graham. Uh, yeah, Graham. Yeah, yeah. Heather Graham. She's who been was in a bunch a, of stuff. She's still around. She is still around. She was well. She was always doing B movies. I really thought that she could easily be an A actress. But whatever she was missing, maybe it was that she was willing to take care of her clothes, clothes too easily. But uh, but whatever she was missing, unfortunately, she never got her to that A movie status. But she has been in a bunch of B movies. She's generally been very cute and very fun. She's usually played fun characters that uh, you would enjoy hanging out with. Yeah, she was in Scrubs uh, for a couple of years. She was? Yeah. No, she wasn't. Yeah, she was. She played a doctor on Scrubs for a couple of years. You got to be shitting me. No, really? I'm not kidding. I didn't. Well, I, <laughs> I watched some that. Scrubs. Apparently, I missed, I missed that entire season or two. Yeah, you got to find yeah, the ones I, with Heather Graham. Interesting. I might have to rewatch that with Heather Graham. But yeah, I, I really like the, the other problem is that her name is literally another porn star's name. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that's uh, uh, I mean, when you look up Heather Graham, you might see multiple Heather Grahams. You're like, which uh, one am I looking get nude, for? You'll get nudes of both of them, though. I'll tell you that. <laughs> See, that's equal. But I, I've, I've done that that's photo shoot with the other Heather Graham. So, like, I, you know, I know that one, actually. But I, I wish I knew this one instead, because this one I, I really think was underrated. And she was the absolute, like, the perfect person for John Favreau's character to just forget about his old girlfriend about is this fresh, cute you know, strawberry blonde chick that, that he's dancing with. It is a timeless movie that I think holds up pretty well still. 
I haven't re- I haven't watched it for a long time. I should rewatch it probably. I would I probably enjoy it still. It was and Vince Vaughn really was uh yeah, that set up his whole career cuz he's been playing that goofy tall guy pretty much ever since. Hey, whatever works, you jump on it and you do it. That's yeah. you, what and, you got to do. And Favreau did Jumanji, so there you go. <laughs> well, yeah, he's, uh, well, and and to be fair, the Star Wars thing now. Yeah, the Star Wars thing, and then he did the one that was the, like the food truck. Was it Chef or I forget what the name? Oh, that of one was. is awesome. Yeah, Great yeah, movie. yeah. He, did, he well that, and then did you watch his Netflix special on him just going to different food trucks? No, was that? I oh, it's awesome. Yeah, two seasons. One of them was totally in Austin, and then the other season was uh, I think in L.A. Um, but it's basically him doing going to like restaurants and not like an all Anthony Bourdain trucks. type thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, very similar to Anthony Bourdain, but he's in the kitchen. He's kind of like learning to cook what their style of food is. And it was, um, I thought it was very, very good. It started off very clunky. His first episode was having, oh, um, uh, who's the chick that's like selling products that are really expensive and sound like vaginal stuff i don't know gwyneth paltrow yes that's yeah. exactly it good see we could play that game where you get you guess the person i'm thinking of it's a, <laughs> new game. a game show in the it could there's be. a game show in the 80s like where you like i have to get you to say a certain like word whose line is it uh yeah without without no totally not that but without <laughs> without saying the actual word so you knew exactly that gwyneth uh well i mean the candles paltrow. are hard to forget that somebody came out with a yeah. vaginal yeah. scented candle Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. somebody come, anybody else comes up with this idea in a board meeting somewhere that's like, no. But oh, you're a super a celebrity, uh, okay? Yeah, come on. No, yeah, exactly. So she was his first guest, and like she was cooking something vegetarian and completely ridiculous with him. And then I think they realized after shooting that episode, yeah, this isn't going to work. We need to change it up. And so they went for more of the sort of food truck vibe, even if it's in a real restaurant, rather than the celebrity vibe which was, I think, the original concept. And the food truck vibe really worked. So definitely look up his show on uh, Netflix. I think it's on that. Maybe it's on Amazon, but I think it's on Netflix. Um, and it's, I can't remember the name of it. I'm not even going to try and remember, but just look up John Favreau, uh, you know, TV show or something That's like that. That's what IMDb's for. You can find everything. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, no, he's been a great guy. Um, so any more donations come in while I'm talking? Cause I feel like I've been talking so long. You might've actually gotten <laughs> more mean, donations coming. Actually some have, but I don't, we don't check those until the next show, but I did see a PayPal thing pop up on the phone. So whoever that was, we will be attributing that on uh, the next show, which will yeah, be see, coming up on Friday. Clearly my method of ensuring that you have the highest number of donations for this episode is to talk for about four days. It's straight. like a telethon. You just keep going. <laughs> it really is. Now, I would be good at doing a telethon. I think you would be too. I think lines are open now. Be sure to get your donations in. We could, we could keep going with a telethon format for probably substantially longer than most people. That's true. That's true. And especially if you did have a couple of breaks to put in there, I mean, that's the the concept of you could play a song or two and and then go get food and you know use the bathroom and all that kind of stuff. You could expand for like days. Oh yeah. Hey, um speaking of telethons, what's the name of that movie that Kevin Bacon was in where he plays a 1950s kind of a knockoff of uh Jerry Lewis and I don't know. uh Oh, what was the, 
It was a great movie. It was a mystery. Kevin Bacon was in a great movie. I didn't know that. It was a very good. He did a good job of playing kind of a dick. <laughs> Maybe because he is. I don't know. Uh, well, you it's know that he really was nice in a TV guy. show called I Love Dick, right? No, I don't follow Kevin Bacon. Oh, my God. How do you not follow Kevin Bacon? What's wrong with you, man? <laughs> it's Kevin Bacon. I mean, he's he's associated with everybody who's ever been anybody. Come on. Six so degrees, Kevin Bacon right. was in the show called I Love Dick, where he played Dick, who was the uh, a guy in Texas that the other main character started falling in love with. And, and I think they actually did cheat, but it was a very, it was set in Marfa, Texas, which is goofy ass place to begin with. The problem um, with I, the Kevin Bacon IMDB is it scrolls forever. Oh yeah. No, it, it is. <laughs> it is. That's he's, what I'm starting to realize. Like, he's a busy working dude. We can figure he's, it out. He's, the, the reason that there's six degrees of Kevin Bacon is because Kevin Bacon has worked in 10,000 movies and he, well, and music, he, he has released albums and, uh, I've never heard of that. Oh, it's okay. There you go. He's a oh, where the truth lies. I found the movie. So <laughs> click on where the truth lies. Uh, and it's, I don't know if it's on available anywhere other than rental these days, but who does it rental? is a wonderful. I mean, you, yeah. You go murder you mystery. What you just download everything. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's only got a 6.4 be... rate. So it's gotta be on, you know, the usual sources. I'll, yeah, I'll it came out in in uh, fifteen years ago. Oh, oh, I know why I like it too. It was an Adam Egoyan movie, and I love Adam Egoyan. He's like one of the best directors of our generation. I think well, very, very good. It's a movie that everybody should check out. And uh, we're, we're being taunted now by Abel Kirby of the uh, what? Rare Encounter with Abel Kirby. He says, "I keep trying to uh, stop the show, and you keep extending it." <laughs> Well, I'm not really extending. I mean, like I said, I'm just trying to get the most donations coming in. So there's a very easy way for you guys right. to make sure this show ends. Yes. Abel Kirby, send in. Start money. sending donations right now that they're popping up with uh, PayPal alerts. Eight. And um, it will be just a matter of just barely hours until the show ends at that point. Send a full Bitcoin now and the show ends immediately. <laughs> exactly. One Bitcoin will probably do it. Be like, See you <laughs> so, later, Gene. <laughs> exactly oh more than one even better yeah well and so Conferth is in that movie and kevin bacon and and they are both really good and allison loman who um funny story with allison she was only in like three movies all of them really good and then she just became a housewife unfortunately but um if you guys haven't seen that movie it's very twisted it's very sort of a, a murder mystery film noir style and uh and if you like the the 1950s 1960s kind of look it it does a great job of capturing it I highly recommend it so there's i think that i've now provided several movie recommendations there you go i mean you should be doing a podcast movies with sir gene you know i probably could because i've watched an awful lot of movies over the years and now you could go back and revisit them. I mean, even better for movies that you saw a long time ago, you could do mm-hmm. a little bit up front, like, hey, I haven't watched this movie for 20 years. Here's what I remember. Then watch it and then do a reaction and see if it held up. You know what didn't hold up? What didn't hold up that I saw just recently? Uh, I, I saw a 20 minute clip on YouTube of the, the grumpy dudes on the Muppets. <laughs> yeah, Waldorf and uh, Waldorf and Astoria. 
Exactly. <laughs> that's a hotel, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, the that's, Muppets that's are going to be canceled for. anyway, though, because Miss Piggy and I don't know. Right. It's all. She she is clearly identifying as a man. Well, you, maybe maybe it was a trans. Maybe she's a trans pig. Well, you she was. Know. She was played by a dude, man. Miss well, Piggy was then, always a guy. Then that should be that should be right up front about that. They should. I, I think that they got in some other trouble because of uh, racialist things. <laughs> like they were not treating their green actors the same way they were treating their brown actors yeah that's horrible i mean the muppets yeah. must go they must well they i thought they kind of already went 20 years ago when when jim henson died but, but disney brought not. them back just so they could be canceled it uh, does seem exactly that way. well that's what disney does yeah. disney is the yeah. cancel company their whole point of acquiring properties is to and i'm going to use the word to fuck them in the ass yeah make that new is shows the point of disney then, yeah i don't get it i don't know it, why uh, they're doing that Every property they buy, they they just fuck them. They did kill Star and, Wars, and you don't understand. Like, is there a way that they're recovering the money that they lose because they just killed off the series, or what? Is it otherwise? It, it would seem like Disney should just go out of business. That would be not, a lot of people would like that. I think. I don't know why anybody would trust Disney to be in charge of filling their kids' free time. Oh no, no. that's the last company. Starting with the fact that it was run by an actual Nazi They're way back not in the kids day. Safe. They're totally not kids safe. And Disney has always been about having messaging in the medium. And I think you ought to be very careful allowing kids an unlimited access to a company that's been creating propaganda for over 50 years. Just sit your kids down and make them listen to Sir Gene Speaks on a unending loop. Well, that'll just make them fall asleep. I mean, honestly, if you want your kids falling asleep, they, I got great ASMR right here. It'll just make your kids go, oh, and they're falling asleep. Whatever works. Um, yeah, I I think it's uh, it's an easy thing to do. So have we set a new record? Are we at the record now or is this the oh, longest? Yeah. I think without a doubt, this is the longest grumpy old Ben's. It's going to be about three hours and 45 minutes or so. So we have huh. eclipsed this week's uh, No Agenda. I think we've eclipsed the longest oh, yeah. grumpy old Ben's ever, and uh, it should be one for the record books. As, it, it, we should check to see if this is maybe one of the longest podcasts ever recorded of any podcast. No, there's long. I mean, no agenda's done seven and eight hours. And you know, did they do seven hours? Yeah. The, okay. The, how many hours without the clips? It was it was really long because it was the I mean, because don't get me wrong. Show for I can, episode, I think it was what a thousand was it maybe? Or uh, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah, there was thousand. Yeah, yeah. big one. The twelve hundred. Where was there was a couple of them that were really. There was a lot of donations coming into that. Really but, long. I mean, look, I can I can play all the clips of my own podcasts on here, and that would stretch it out to easily fifteen, sixteen hours. Yeah, there was one of the you uh, probably the even special go longer. episodes. Cold we, acid. We checked them out. Yeah, we could go if longer. We, tossed in clips of your show yes if we, to, if we tossed in clips uh of both of our individual shows <laughs> to this episode we could deconstruct our own shows uh i think that might be pushing the the level of meta a little too far but it might work who knows it might be very complimentary though that's the problem they will be talking about us though i'm sure on wednesday night on cold acid show and abel kirby show called rare encounter because they're both listening yeah. and we appreciate well and and by the way i'm you know i'm available as long as i have advanced notice to come in and talk about myself on any shows there you go guys 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you can be on Rare Encounter. They haven't even invited me on yet. So uh, no, okay. Well, they did. Yeah, I've had a couple of then, these shows that said, "Oh, you you need to get on here. Come on our show." And I said, "Okay." And then they don't send me any invite because <laughs> they heard this show. It's They'll like, never wait actually a send me the invite. What? Well, like, don't it. invite me if you're not going to actually invite me on the show. Yeah, because I've said, mean. "Yeah, that'll be cool. Sure, I'll be on." So everybody, and then get Sergene on. Get him on your show. Get him on now. He's ready. Like he can tripping. go another six hours. Well, I'm going to be. I'm going to be recording an episode of my own podcast immediately after we hang up. You are a very sick man. But I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for coming along. There's obviously more stories to hear and more. Yeah, we haven't covered everything. That's for so sure. We'll do this again in, in some form or shape. I mean, I maybe I'll start doing. I've been thinking about something like uh, with the random thoughts, starting like random conversations to add in as a mm-hmm. as a uh, show. Like you said, the guy that made all the money just doing interviews. That might not yeah. be a bad way to go about it but we will wrap up this episode of grumpy old bands and tell everybody if they want more of sir gene they just go to podcast.sirgene.com did i get it right this time you got it right and they can uh hear all of it but you want them to listen at like 1.5 speed so 1.25 is a recommended speed if you listen I used any to faster. actually do this uh, it, well yeah yeah no you it's it's recommended it's not required um but I, I typically listen to at least one and a half on most podcasts um, because it, it's just too damn slow otherwise. But when I've listened to my own show, I found that if it's at normal 1.0 speed, that I speak too slowly for my own taste. Well, speed and up. so I started okay. in the first few episodes, I actually accelerated the show, um, you know, in, in post-production and then put the episode out. And then I was talking to Adam about something and he said, what, what are you doing to your show? I said, what do you mean? Well, he says, well, you're not actually speaking that fast because I know you. You don't speak that fast. I said, yeah, I just, you know, I sped it up a little bit. Uh, and he says, yeah, that's too much. People let people decide for themselves. Well, or if you want and, the metric, uh, release both. And then you'll see which gets more downloads. Well, uh, fair enough. If you want to completely dilute your show into having an A and a B version, you could do that. Yeah. But I had, uh, I, I relented and I said, okay, fine. That's, I'll just make a comment on every episode that says you should really listen at 1.25, but it's fine if you if somebody wants to listen slower. The, the thing that got me for an argument, the reason for doing it that way is because if I pre-compress it in post, there's actually less audio data that is being sent to the, to the listener. Right. Right. So you speed that up even further then it's really bad. Yeah. So essentially if I'm trying to squeeze in more uh, audio data and the, the audio people totally get this into the same bit rate. So I'm having a higher frequency essentially with the same 128k bit rate. Then the perceived quality of the audio actually goes down and so that was the argument that kind of made me realize well okay so what if i just release it at the recorded speed with an advisory and i i'm I'm actually trying to get them and by them i mean dave and adam to add this into the podcasting 2.0 um xml namespace yeah and the namespace is the default playback speed so if you get if you have a new listener, somebody that's just first got your podcast and they don't have a customized speed that they would like to listen to that in, it should default to whatever speed the show producer 
had recommended, which would be in my case, 1.25 for no agenda would be 1.75. I mean, 1.0. <laughs> Come on. You just and, try caffeine and crack. You, you'll talk a lot faster without any gear to do it for you. I have tried that and it, it doesn't work the same way. You, what ends up happening you is start talking slower because you think you, it's no, no, you're talking faster, but you're thinking slower. Oh yeah, that doesn't and, work. And so you end up generating a whole bunch of those words, which will have to be automatically cut out by really smart software. Um, uh, so all and, those filler words. But see, you yeah, need to get Pembroke on words. because he said suggested playing speed is possibly the stupidest idea to ever come to podcasting. So I think you do need to get him on your show. Oh, I'm totally. Yeah, that's Maybe a topic we can. You can have a long him. conversation at 1.25 on. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, with that, I will bid you would do and everybody else. And thank everybody for listening live. We do these live at noagendastream.com. We've set a record for grumpy old bands, but it probably will be broken at some point thanks gene for hanging out chatting and uh and be proving that we bloviate just as good as anybody else on the no agenda we're up there man we're up there <laughs> but i'll be back on friday with another well i'll be back actually on a wednesday with random thoughts and thursday with a rock and roll pre-show and then on friday with another episode of grumpy old bands but until then i am darren o'neill coming to you live from hey. a bunker deep in the heart of middle america just outside of chirac where the weather sucks the taxes are high, but uh, we have good food.